Well, greetings and welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Hard News on Friday nights at BBS Radio Station One. So we're grateful that you're joining us here tonight. And I'd like to take a few moments to just get us into that heart space, as we like to do as we set the tone for the evening. And... um so take a few gentle breaths, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, or whatever breathing protocol that you like to do. And I hear that calling drum. So as we go into the heart space, we let go of that dross of the day. Gather with your guides, your guardians, your totems. Whoever you'd like to join with as we journey with the Kimi drum. We hear it calling. (laughs) And there's a council fire, and it's in the center. So let's gather around that council fire. Coming close. As we join in a circle in that virtual way we know how to do. We'll call in those seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. We welcome from the east the house of light. May wisdom be trained. Open the may wisdom open in the door that is upon us, the dawn that is upon us. Excuse me, so that we may see things in clarity. And we welcome from the north the house of night. May wisdom mature among us, so that we may see everything from within. Welcome from the West, the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. And we welcome from the South, the house of eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being. We greet from above the house of paradise, where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. We greet from below the house of earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmonies, so that we might end war. Welcome from the center, source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love.
I am who not cool, even Maya, he my hoe. I am who not cool, even Maya, he my hoe. I am who not cool, even Maya, he my hoe. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. In Lockash, I can. I am another you. You are another me. And I hope talk very often. So now let's take a few moments to stay wherever that drumbeat took you as we take a look at the Mayan record of days for today and for the week ahead. Today was a blue, uh, <clears throat> portal day. And... <laughs> This is also the day that Pluto enters Aquarius, which is perfect because we're today is the white spectral dog. So I think of Pluto as a dog. <laughs> Remember Pluto the dog? So, so here we are, <clears throat> liberating love and letting go of what no longer serves us so that we can spend that love energy on something new and different. A new paradigm. So those three spec, those three words for um, the dog are love, loyalty, and heart. And spectral, the eleventh tone is three descriptive words are dissolve, libera- liberation, and releasing. So here's the mantra for today: I dissolve in order to love, realizing loyalty. I seal the process of heart with the spectral tone of liberation. I am guided by my own power doubled. I am a galactic activation portal. Enter me. So we got double dog day. (laughs) And I double dog dare you to do what you need to. Here it goes. We're guided by the white dog. They call power is the blue monkey. The ally today is the red moon. And the challenge teacher for today is the yellow sun. And we're in the wave of the yellow sun. So we're in that wave spell. So perfect per- perfect place to do the work that we did this morning. <laughs> and uh, so grateful to have that opportunity to do that kind of work, working with rising to Christ consciousness for everybody. Uh, starting with our leadership. So there you go. Let's uh, look at this dog dog energy a little bit more. It's an artist aspect. It's about unconditional love and that healing the pain of the past. So we embrace the gifts of having that contact with our spirit guides and our awareness of destiny and our awareness of past lives and our loyalty to humankind. As we let go of any fears or any unwise use of anger on this day, we embrace these energies. And then moving on to tomorrow, it's another portal day, and it's the blue crystal monkey. So 12 chewing. Chewing the monkey is an artist aspect, so it's about balancing work and play. It's about paying attention to clarity of mind in that wise use of magical artistry. So we embrace these gifts of innocence and spontaneity, that ability to play and laugh and 
take care of ourselves that way. <laughs> so let's let go of any insensitivity or jadedness or any resistance to compassion or any mistrust as we embrace these energies on Saturday. And it's Portal Day, so it's extra. Um, it's a, a galactic activation portal, so enter it. And then on Sunday, the red magne- um, or the yellow cosmic human, a 13 ebb, the cosmic tone, it's the last day as of this wave of how the wave of the sun rising to Christ consciousness. So what a good day to have that on Sunday when we have time to get there. <laughs> Hopefully it's a healing aspect, the human. So the work with, with the human is enlightenment of humankind and activating Christ consciousness and attuning to spirit. So we embrace these gifts of the human servant warrior and abundance and that contact with other dimensions as we let go of any dependence on the analytical mind and embrace these energies on Sunday, be that cosmic human. And then Monday, moving right along, a red magnetic Skywalker begin a new wave, the wave of bend, the Skywalker. So its guidance is to be clear and follow through. And, uh, yeah, that's good guidance. So it's a warrior aspect. And our work is focus and striving towards self-illumination and clarity. So we embrace the gifts of strength that the warrior aspect gives us. And that ability to bend dimension, the Skywalker, shows us how to do that. So let's let go of any resistance to face or belief in aloneness as we embrace these energies on Monday. And then moving on to Tuesday, and be sure and set your intentions for the each wave as well. So on Monday, set some intentions for this wave of the Skywalker. And then on Tuesday, it's the White Lunar Magician. It's a two-ish, two-tone. So that's a, <clears throat> the lunar tone, and it's working with that polarity finding balance. So the magician is a visionary aspect, and so it's about illumination for others and working with clarity of mind and purpose. We embrace the gifts of being that that shaman, that jaguar, priestess woman, using that jaguar medicine, working with integrity and in accordance with divine will. So we let go of any control issues or any personal power issues. Let go of any manipulation as we embrace these energies on Tuesday. And then moving on to Wednesday, the blue electric eagle of three men. The eagle is another visionary aspect. So we're working with our commitment to service and moving consciousness to source. And Reconnecting with all creation with this energy and that that high vision that the eagle gives us as it flies high brings us into that unity consciousness because we see we're all one that way. We have that gift of independence and that belief in ourselves, so let's let go of any feelings of despair, any dissociation or the illusion of separateness as we embrace these energies on Wednesday and then moving on to Thursday, the yellow self-existing warrior. So it's a poor key. The warrior aspect is 
in in the warrior. So its work is trusting in our journey and bringing awareness of right action. So we embrace these gifts of that communication with the divine and that access to cosmic consciousness. If we let go of any limitation or any restrictions or any hesitation, and we're working with that self-existing tone, of the four-tone, and uh, yeah, it's that structure that that gives us. So then, moving along to Friday, it's the red overtone Earth, a five kaban. Kaban. That it's the overtone five is that harmonic that we work with in the five tones, or I like to call it the top of the pyramid. So it's like the activator. It's a healing aspect. Kaban is the earth. So our work is keeper of the earth and our awareness of earth energy. So we tune in, we listen, we embrace these gifts of having that access to planetary harmony. And being that balancing point and working with that intuition as we listen, that's what we're doing, listening to what she needs. So let go of any separation, any failure to read the signs or any dissociation as we embrace these energies on Friday. And we will talk about that some more when we come back next Friday, which will be the last day of the month of March, the 31st. So... That leads me to changing my hat and putting on that housekeeper hat as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. And we're behind $144.54 from last week, and so we need to get that in as soon as possible. And for this week coming up, then we need $296.50. I'd round that up to 300 (laughs) but there you go that's what we need for our commitment this week and and last week and that's a good number 144 let's uh, do this as a group (laughs) 12 times 12 and uh, so there we go here's how we make a donation to BBS radio you want to go to radio you want to go to bbsradio.com and Click on Radio Station 1. There you find the selection for the different programs. Click on the that, and you'll see on Fridays at the 8 o'clock hour central time is the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. And you'll see there also on Thursday at the 8 o'clock hour central time Um. A Night at the Roundtable with the panel, that's the other program we have on Radio Station 1. So either one of those icons, as you click on it, will take you directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can make a donation in any amount. And thank you for your uh, attention to this matter and, and your persistence and your generosity as we get caught up and stay caught up. <laughs> And so, with that, we also have a program on Radio Station 2, and as you look that up and click on Selection, you will see Radio Station 2 on Saturday at the one at the 3.30 hour Central Time, is a 
true history, history of Nasser and our galactic origins with Tara and Rama. And as you click on that icon, that'll also take you to our account. So those are the three options, the three shows, and and the three bills that it takes to make it happen. So thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up that way and assisting us with this, um, the bills we have to play with with PBS for their services. We're so grateful for you in all the ways that you show up. So lots of gratitude. And um, we're also needing other things for the radio. Um, not for the radio, but for Tarn Rum. So let's talk about that for a minute. This week is Rhett Week, and that's being taken care of by people who have that commitment and made that commitment to make sure that that happens in a good way. So we thank you at this time for for doing that persistently each and every month. So much gratitude for your commitment. And so what else they need for this week is $496 for the tire and the ET um, bill that was due a month ago, and it it can't wait any longer. It really has to be paid. So as we can pay attention to that one particular, and that $96 on top of that 400 is for uh, getting another donut spare that is important to have with that model of car. And if it was my car, I'd just fix a tire and throw it in the back, but it does take up a lot of space, and I know Ron has to put all his crystals in the back of his car. (laughs) It's already loaded there. He has to have a donut. So let's make sure that he gets his donut for his car. And and a little bit of basics. I'm saying $200 will cover it. And with lots of gratitude for that happening because it is essential to buy food at this point. Though There will be a point when we won't have to do that anymore. Very clearly, that seems to be the case from my experience with plasma technology. Haven't been hungry since December. <laughs> it really works. Anyway, I digress. Uh, here's how we make a donation to Tara and Rama. You, the best way to do it is through the friends option, and the way to do that is uh, just put in paypal.com uh, in your browser and go there and you'll see a, a place where you to you can gift somebody and you want to put in Rama's email there and that is Koran K-O-R-A-N 9999 at and for whatever reason that wasn't working today for our dear sister who was trying to make that happen and it worked to put in his other me- email, and I'll be giving that in a minute. So let's continue with this part. Oh, yeah, which is the other option is to go through the web address, and that web address is rainbowroundtable.net. And there's a link there on the homepage, and that drops down. you also see that link on the updates that Rama does. That link you takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable account, which is a commercial account, so a little bit more of that gets taken up in fees, which is why we like to do it the other way. But, you know, anyway, it's perfect. We are so grateful for your gifts and your time and doing this. Um, so what else? Yeah, as you're sending something, let Rama know at this email, and this is the other email you can use as a, that one. 
the one, the Hotmail one doesn't work. So it's Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-39s at Comcast.net. And then uh, uh, as you go to that link, you'll, you'll get it done fast and easy. And so thank you. Thank you for taking that action. And then what else? Yes, as you're sending something, let Rama know. And use that email, the Comcast.net email, and I'll give it again. Send an email to Rama, Koran 999 at Comcast.net, and let him know what you sent and when you sent it. So he has an inkling of what's going on. I can anticipate that. And get it and spend it real quick because it's always being being asked for. So that's the that's the lifestyle that... It, that we like to honor in a good way. So we're so grateful for you paying attention to the needs of Tara and Rama as well. Uh, they need $200 for basics and the 490 for the card this week. And we know that the rent's being taken care of. So let's let us pick up the rest of it and make it happen in a good way. Um, so there you go. That's, that's the week. That's what you do. Oh, yes. And if you need it, the, the mailing address is Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. With a zip code, it's 87567. I'll say it again. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it. I have a very important date with the Aurora. I kind of go look at the Aurora. <laughs> I'm going to get out of here. So I'm going to pass this talking stick. And, oh, my gosh, it's just full of spring flowers everywhere. Spring is in the air and uh, has lots of fairies and feathers and little people, the Manahunis and the gnomes and the, the dwarves, the elves and and unicorns and dragons are right there with it and blazing that violet fire from that dragon. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes his talking stick. Greetings. Greetings. All you commanders, eagles and angels, this has been the most complex day uh, since I can remember. There is so much energy coming into the planet. It's astounding. And Rama didn't get a chance to give me his update, so I'm going to pass the talking stick to him. Here comes Rama. <laughs> <laughs> um. I went up along the river close to Ojo Caliente today and called in all the beings, known and unknown. Ojo Caliente is a hot spring. Yeah. It's okay to know. And 45 deer showed up along with 13 crows. And Now that's incredulous. Uh, yeah. 
And, you know, the numbers are the numbers in the sense of the numerology and they're sending a message about the energies coming in with the solar flares and the KP index being at eight. And uh, every, I mean, I have seen so many videos of the Aurora Borealis. It's, um, I could just say the gamma rays are doing what they got to do to transform this planet and us along with the monoatomic gold dust. And um, it's kind of brings awe, that word, to mind, because this is the energy that's transforming us and all of life. And um, I have to just surrender to the energies. It's... Um, <laughs> I lose the words, so to speak, because it's about love and nothing else. And I didn't expect to see 45 deer today. Oh. I, I mean, it just blew me away when they all showed up and it was snowing. And um, they're asking to embrace their synergy with us and they are the dolphin of the land and they are just saying uh, leave the old behind the new is showing up Pluto has entered Aquarius and like we were saying last night this is a huge huge deal because the Pluto uh, it's two two hundred and forty year cycle, forty eight year cycle. Excuse me. So, the cycle we just closed of Pluto started in seventeen seventy six. So it's the entire history of the United States, and so this cycle, the next two hundred and forty eight years, is going to be about um, with Pluto and Aquarius. It's talking about bringing in the age of Aquarius uh, at, at the first 248 years of a 2,000-year cycle, right? That's what Aquarius, every, every, every sign goes through about 2,000 years. And again, we're going to play something, really? Oh, we got to play it now. Okay, we'll talk about this more. But this tell- is... This is Manly P. Hall talking about the most powerful energy in the universe. And it's talking about the sun and the magnetic energies. This is all about Aquarius. (laughs) Let's go. Here we go. The study of the magnetic powers of the sun will be more or less clearly understood by the study of the seasons. Winter, summer, spring, and these things have all to do with a magnetic factor in the air. And we think of it only in trying to explain it as a physical astronomical phenomenon, since there's the rotation and revolutions of the sun and planets. But each of these planets is a field of magnetic energy. And this energy comes to us through what we call air. 
Now, what is air, actually? Well, we have scientific definitions of it, but there's something more to it than that. Air is something in itself. It is a substance. It is not only a condition of climate or of weather. It is a basic factor in the contributions which make up existence. One thing we have learned from television is that air transmits. We know, for instance, that we can have all kinds of programs on the air at the same time. And they can come from all directions. And they can overlap and interlap. But each one will remain separately identified as though it was moving in a channel or a circuit of its own. You can have a dozen programs, and you turn them on, turn them off, but none of those programs is going through the air in the form we see it. We see the murder committed on the screen, and we see it broadcast into a theater somewhere or into a home. But it isn't the murder that's going into the home. It, the uh, murder has not been visible when it went through the air. Something went through was vibration. And this vibration in the magnetic field can be divided into an infinite complexity of separate emanation. In other words, if we had a thousand different channels, they could be differentiated in the magnetic field so that each one would be broadcast correctly and properly for whatever it is. Thus, we realize there's something out there besides air, something besides helium and oxygen, something besides the ordinary factors we take into consideration scientifically. We are in the presence of a mysterious agent, an agent that is part of everything that we are. Now, studying magnetism as it comes into the human body, we discover along with Tilda that each human body is surrounded by an etheric or energy field. This energy field is sometimes referred to as an aura, but it is not the true aura that we think of in metaphysics. This magnetic field is an area of energy. This area of energy forms an egg-like atmospheric sheath around the physical body, usually extending three to five feet from it in each direction. This energy field is the basis of virtue because this energy field depends for its reality, its serviceability, and its protecting power to move emotion, thought, and the attitudes of the person around which this magnetic field is gathered. In other words, the individual, if they are normal, if mentally, emotionally, and physically, they're keeping the rules. This magnetic field forms a tremendous protection. It is normal, it is healthy, it is constantly able to handle infections and all kinds of difficulties. It will help to heal wounds. It will help to recover the use of functions and organs. And if we are deprived of some part of the body, it will try to compensate for us. As long as the individual takes proper care of his magnetic field, it will serve him. Now, this is a phase of morality that is generally overlooked. It is assumed that these magnetic fields are something you don't pay much attention to. But the truth of the matter is that the whole survival of the individual depends upon maintaining the integrity of this flow of energy into the magnetic field. This energy comes from the sun. It comes through a mysterious energy tube in the magnetic field. It enters the individual through the crown of the head. 
It disseminates through the entire body and it's excreted back again through the lower centers of the body and is re-cleansed by the solar energy. This is a kind of a little private tank or capsule of life that we are all carrying about with us all the time. Now the problem of morality in this is very definite. The moment we break rules, we damage that magnetic flow. We have got to keep the laws of nature, and these in turn are the laws of God, or the magnetic field fails. It can fail because of physical intemperances, which reduce its integrity and reduce its power. It can be wasted in riotous living, which is a common cause these days. It can be variously destroyed by moods, by attitudes, by fears, by complexes. It can be destroyed or damaged by alcohol, drugs, narcotics, all kinds of things. But if this field is damaged, it immediately reacts into health. It damages the individual's vitality. It makes him more easily subject to contagions and infections, and it definitely shortens the life expectancy. Now, if this is the soul, why do we want to consider it as a moral factor? In other words, what is morality? To the ancients, it was obedience to the, word, the words of God or the laws of God. In more modern times, with more intelligent people, it is obedience with the evident will of deity as manifested in creation. Virtue lies in whatever builds up the magnetic fields. Vice is that which tears them down. No human interception can interfere with this in any way. Therefore, if we are good, it's not because the book says we should be. It's not because it was thundered by the laws on Sinai. It is because we keep the rules of the integration of the human structure that we use the magnetic fields correctly and protect our health and our happiness and our well-being in that way. Now we think of the magnetic field as surrounding the entire structure of the body as Kilner shows in his work on the human atmosphere. The CBS Epic Beauty event is on. Save with thousands of hot deals on beauty and wellness. It's a sale so big, it's epic. New deals drop weekly. Save now at CBS through April 8th. Atmosphere, and David also in his study of the atom. This, however, is only a phase of it. Each part of the body has a magnetic field. Each unit within the individual has its survival in a unit of energy. And this unit of energy is present in the smallest subdivision of imaginable space. It is in the tiniest atom. There is no such a thing as a dead particle in the universe. Even if it is killed by something, the very disintegrating process is a symbol of life energy. Therefore, we are confronted with the natural problem of realizing that virtue is to keep the law of the energy field. Now, the law of the energy field, just by coincidence, is also the law of integrity. The energy field 
is what establishes right and wrong. The energy T field tells us that to lose our disposition and temperament is wrong. To use various negative, destructive attitudes is wrong. To compromise the principles of right living is wrong. To think badly, to feel unpleasantly, to be engaged in any action or concept which is contrary to the common good damages the magnetic field and therefore is wrong. The stomach has its own magnetic field. The stomach is not simply an organ. It is an organism. It is a living thing within the human body. The same is true of the heart, the brain, the glandular structure, all the organs, the intestines, all the motor system, the nervous system, the endocrine system. These are all entities. They are entities of magnetic unities. They are part of living organisms that are cooperating together for the common good. To abuse one is to damage all. To neglect one is to neglect all. Each of these organs has its own field in the body. And all these fields together constitute the grand magnetic field that surrounds the complete person. Now that we go inside of this for a moment to see what we're dealing with. So we go back to Pythagoras, who was very timely in that. He tells us that in Egypt there was a temple in which therapy was the result of this contemplation of symmetrical geometric solids. In other words, the images of therapy were mathematical cubes, octagons, each one placed upon a kind of altar pedestal for the contemplation of the sepulchre. All were symmetric geometric solids, perfect and complete in structure. To look upon them was therapeutic, because look to look upon them accepted their energy as a reality in our lives. Now these stone solids apparently were not alive. They only gave the impression of value, but actually they were alive. Every form in nature, natural or artificial, has a magnetic field. From the tiniest atom to the greatest galaxy, the magnetic fields are present, and the rules of each of them must be obeyed. Now if an individual looking at a geometric solid sees in it a perfect proportion, this realization enters into the subconscious life of the person. The imagery of that solid is sent into the consciousness in the form of a benevolent magnetic center. It means that the individual is seeing harmony, is seeing something in perfect order and perfect correctness. Wherever we see perfection, it improves ourselves. Wherever we accept discord as inevitable, it injures ourselves. Everywhere looking around us in nature, we see that all natural things are benevolent. It is only when these are abused, mostly by humanity, that these benevolences are lost. We live in a completely corrupt world. Therefore, we are bewildered, we are intimidated, we are worried, and very often just simply give up and follow the line of least resistance and go down with the rest. Now, this isn't really the way it was intended to be. Actually, the, the bad news that we have has nothing to do with us unless we're part of the bad program. Now, we might say well, it's nicer to imagine a world in which we could all work together. There's no doubt about it. It would be much better. 
But until such time, the individual who is trying to be right has got to be careful that he is not infected by a common disillusionment. He cannot afford to say everything is wrong and mean it. He's got to hold inside of himself a realization that principle is the basic value and that regardless of what happens in the world, he cannot lose sight of protecting his own energy resources because it might just so happen that he could be one of those who could help to change the course of history. In other words, disillusionment, despair, discouragement, bitterness, anger, frustration, all these do nothing to the person against whom they are turned, but they do everything to the individual who uses them. Therefore, no matter what we read in the paper, no matter what comes to us over the radio or in television, the individual must retain within himself the realization that there is a great good behind everything and that that great good will succeed and that this magnetic field we're talking about, which extends not only through this solar system, but through the entire galaxy, decrees within itself by its own immutable process that evil can never win. We must go through certain travail in connection with it. We have to finally learn to our own satisfaction that we can't do it badly and be well off. But until such time, values never change. Never will we be punished for what somebody else does. Never will we be rewarded for the virtues of others. We must achieve these things ourselves through our own efforts, through our own integrities, and through our own dedications. And all of this is added up in a mysterious bank account, which is called energy or magnetic resource. It is there to serve us. It is there to serve the individual who does wrong. But if the individual does wrong, the service collapses. And the individual who does wrong finally finds the energy turned back upon himself. And the corruption continues. We must keep this center of consciousness within ourselves in a Find licensed pharmacists who are continuously trained to give the care you deserve. A world of care is in store. An official message from Medicare. Turning 65 comes with questions like, how do I enroll in Medicare? What if I'm still working? Where do I start? Get your questions answered at Medicare.gov. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. In a condition of correctness. In Buddhism, the heart is called the Saptapana, the house or temple with seven rooms. It is within this temple, as Buddha points out, that the great initiation against the hindrances has to be performed. The individual has to be initiated in his own heart. He must accept as a fact that his own integrity is his only strength and also that his own honesty is his only wealth. All else is some kind of a delusion which will ultimately turn back and whip him. So in the quietude and peace of the realization of the immutability of good, the inevitability of right over wrong, the endless and continuous process of redemption going through every area of nature, all things in due time will come back into the peace which they sacrificed when they tried to put self 
as an individual above universal reality. As we look around us, there's every reason to know that we live in a beautiful world. We live in a tremendous sphere. We are already beginning to realize that we're destroying it ourselves. It is not some vast cosmic power that says we have to be selfish or that puts a profit against principle. These things don't exist in nature. We know that with moderation, with integrity and dedication, we could all live in peace and another five billion could live with us. But the way we are doing, we are sacrificing everything for a bowl of pottage. And if we continue to do this, the energy resources will be reduced. We're worried now about changes taking place in the atmosphere, that the overload that we're throwing against our natural resources is beginning to endanger us. We cannot afford to waste the magnetic field of the body or destroy it any more than we can afford to destroy the one of the earth. If we are going to run out of petroleum someday, we're also going to run out of the ability to recuperate from ailments if we dispose of and waste our recuperative power. The magnetism which helps digestion can be destroyed wasted by corruption. When we take into ourselves dangerous foods, dangerous attitudes, or when we eat with a dangerous mood, we are endangering ourselves. And when the world does these things, the world endangers itself. And we will not be the first civilization, as is said in India, the great mother, the earth, has cast many civilizations from her back. Everything that goes beyond a certain point is destroyed because it breaks up its relation with its energy supply. It no longer is fed primarily by magnetism because it's magnetism in the food that feeds us, it's magnetism in the air that we breathe, it's magnetism in the earth that grows our vegetables, and it is magnetism in our souls that makes us hope for good. All the things we know all the things we believe in are energy dependent and the use of energy is the most important thing. Why we go on year after year making all kinds of efforts to feel better, be better, or think better, and overlook the one fact that everything that we think and feel and believe depends upon a life principle, an energy resource, a magnetism of the earth itself, and that while this is destroyed or while this is abused, we will have the earth becoming more and more sterile, we have, they have air no longer fit to believe. We will find the energies we have wasted lost to us forever. All these things require just one new concept, and that is that religion is basically the proper use of resource. It is to use the privileges that we have been given for the greater good of all of us. We have been made gardeners in a beautiful garden, and we've let it go to weed. We have been given a beautiful planet and we subdivided and sold it for profits. The original purpose was that we should become a wonderful group of human beings working together for the good of each other and the glory of the universe. We are being prepared for a bigger job than we have, but we are flunking the examination at the present moment. We are not doing what we should do. Everything that comes along is measured in profit. Everything that comes along is measured in freedom from responsibility. 
when energy is something that we must be responsible for or we will waste it forever. Or as long as we can. By the time forever comes, there won't be much energy left. But all this is a, a, a lesson in the morality of values. It is a lesson in the fact that we are the keepers in a garden. We are the gardeners in the garden of Allah, as the Muslim calls it. This is a beautiful garden that has been given to us, and we're letting it go to weed. We had a beautiful world with wonderful materials. So we dig under the earth and create materials to create war, death, and destruction. All these things are all little things, but they all add up to the loss and waste of magnetic resource. They are the failure of the individual to protect the source of his own life, the source of his own future, and the breaking of the laws and rules by which he must compare his own needs with the needs of others. It is only when we work to protect the toadstool as well as the nation that we can have peace in the world. We must protect the small things because each of them is a run energy resource. The protection of them is against our viewpoint because we take it for granted that the small should be controlled by the big, that we have, that small things like humble people are made to be exploited. This is not true. Everything in life is made to be used. Nothing is made to be abused. And the individual who abuses any part of life is contributing to the common cause of destruction. We are living in a great, beautiful world of cooperating forces. Uh, filled with things that want to get together and work together for the common good. And all we can do is make games out of them. Silly games. Games in which we think we're conquering everything by putting something in orbit. It's not all true. And what really we are looking for is to realize that we conquer or we win or we achieve our goal when we put ourselves in orbit. And we get back again into the rules of the game of life Serve it as it should be served. Love as it should be loved. Admire the good, protect it. And slowly and quietly outgrow everything that is less. If we can do that, then these resources, these magnetic fields, will supply us with all the energy the world needs for millions of years. Okay, quickly, Rama, the numbers for the uh, conference call. Seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. Okay, so thank you for this listening, and thank you for finding that Manly Palmer Hall is a very wise being of light, and we will discuss things on this conference call, and then we'll be back at the top of this very next hour. With BBS Radio, the best radio there is, barring none. See you on the conference. Namaste.
Oh, see. 
My precious heart, thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. Today we are being held in the exquisite embrace of the March equinox and the new moon. This is providing us with another opportunity to strengthen the unification of all life on earth through our newly balanced and elevated holy breath. Our Father, Mother, God, and the entire company of heaven are standing in readiness to help us accomplish just that. Please join with me now if you have the hard call to do so. Shop now for Michael's lowest prices of the season on thousands of items. With 70% off canvas and 60% off strong beads. Plus, check out big bogos on frames and half off spring and Easter decor. Save store-wide and online now through March 26th. They don't let you take it off anymore. Are you between 45 and 64 and not able to work? We have helped thousands of Americans qualify for up to 3,300. And we begin. We are strengthening the unification of all life through the holy breath. I am my I am presence and I am one with my father, mother, God. I am also one with the I am presence of every man, woman and child on earth. As we take a deep balanced and elevated holy breath, our I am presences merge into one luminous being of light. Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her are now cradled within the unified heart flame of our collective I am presence. Now, through the power of the spoken word, our collective I am presence commands on behalf of every son and daughter of God. I am one with my father, mother, God. I am one with the holy breath of God. I am one with the legions of light throughout infinity. I am one with the angelic kingdom, humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth. I am consciously aware that all my Father Mother God have is mine, and I now accept and know that full divine potential is readily available to me right here and right now. I consciously breathe in and out, knowing that with every holy breath, I am receiving the highest possible frequencies of prana through my life force. On the rhythm of every in-breath, our unified I am presence receives from the heart of God brand new frequencies of God's fifth dimensional crystalline comprehensive divine love. 
this resplendent divine love is being exponentially intensified as it passes through the portal of the March equinox and the light of the new moon. Now, with every outbreath, our unified I am presence is breathing this comprehensive divine love through the 12 pointed crown of the Elohim upon every person's brow and through every person's fifth dimensional crystalline solar chakras. As this light radiates through humanity's 12 fifth dimensional chakras, it expands into our acupuncture meridians and recalibrates every acupuncture point to receive much higher frequencies of our Father Mother God's comprehensive divine love. As this incredible expansion of light is breathed through the collective I am presence of all humanity and every person's fifth dimensional chakra system. It is simultaneously breathed through Mother Earth's planetary grid of comprehensive divine love. From there, it is secured within the new fifth dimensional record keeper crystals that have recently been placed in Mother Earth's crystal meridians by the mighty Elohim. As we all continue consciously breathing through the heart flame of our unified I am presence, we realize that beloved Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her are now breathing in unison with us. Now, within the permanent seed atom of every person's unified heart flame, our collective I am presence once again commands through the power of the spoken word. I am the open door that no one can shut. I am the resurrection and the life of the immaculate concept of every facet of life evolving on Mother Earth. This includes my physical, etheric, mental and emotional fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies. I now perceive through all levels of consciousness. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am that I am. With this command from the collective I am presence of all humanity, a new level of unity consciousness is being birthed on planet Earth. This frequency of oneness and reverence for all life is the very essence 
of our Father, Mother God. Higher frequencies of unity consciousness and comprehensive divine love than we have previously been able to safely assimilate are now flowing through the heart and mind of every son and daughter of God. This is occurring with every holy breath we take. Through every person's I am presence, this frequency of unity consciousness and divine love will be maintained and eternally self-sustained with every balanced and elevated holy breath we take. And so it is. Dear one, be at peace and know you are the light of God in action on earth, right here and right now. God bless you. I look forward to being with you next week. Greetings, dear ones, I am Cryon of Magnetic Service. It is a meld you see. It requires that the human being be open, but there's still a filter. For the human being will always have his culture and his language as his bias even as he presents. That is why spirit shares the information through cultures, through other human beings, through other individuals, and you will see it crying as presented by many others in many other languages. And the more time goes on, the more appropriate it is. And so when you see those who call themselves cryon channels in other languages, know that many are appropriate. And we tell you this so that you'll understand the quantum system has nothing to do with separatism. And there would be those who would want to put a wall around it and call it their own. And if you see that, you'll know it is not cryon. <laughs> Let that be the test. Look for the quantumness of it and recognize the biases that we have been teaching today of what the human being wants to do with his spirituality. We call in the entourage, the one that has been here since this morning to activate itself, even in a more powerful way. We speak in English because this is my partner's only language. And in that linearity, you hear it one word at a time. And yet there is so much more we wish to say. Placed upon 
This time together is what we call the third language. It is the language of the three. It is not the third language in a linear row of one, two, three. It has the energy of three upon it, which is a catalytic energy. A catalyst in this definition, spiritually, is an energy that contains the power to shift other energy and stay the same itself. So it is a profound, pure language that all of you understand. And it is present now. And it starts by visiting you one at a time in often physical ways. Sometimes it's pressure upon you so you cannot move a certain way. Sometimes it's heat or cold. It's the best we can do to show you the proof of what is happening at this moment is real. It is not a man pretending to channel. Despite that, there is a consciousness here that will leave with that idea. And I would like to say something about that, for when this individual leaves, there'll be just as many angels around him as there are the finest healer in the room. There is no judgment of any of you. The acceptance or the rejection of this energy or this message does not pre-qualify you for enlightenment or non-enlightenment. It is your free will, loved every bit as much you are, regardless. I want to speak about the shift. I want to speak about it in ways I have not spoken before. Practical things that spirit knows. Let's speak first about your life. I am aware of who is in front of me, not just individually, but the energy of the group before me, as my partner said, is that of old souls. There is not one in the room where it's your first time on the planet, not one. Some of you have been born this time into other cultures and English is not your first language. And yet you hear, you are here in this room with the others. What happened to you? We're going to speak of this right now. For every single human being is born into a social experience. You can't help it. It's called family. Be too small to make any decision, you would think, about who your mother, who's your father. And yet the bigger picture is much different, old soul. For this time around, there is a potential of awakening. This potential is known. It is not predestined. It is predisposed, that is to say, it is only a potential based upon the energy of your Akash. 
Those who find themselves here from another culture are here because that particular journey was needed for you to sit in the chair and hear what this is. All that has happened to you, regardless of how you think about it's, it's right or it's wrong or it's difficulty, has been for your growth, dear human being, all the things that you've experienced. And you might say, this is not correct, Cryon, for I never would have chosen that or this. They were stumbling blocks for me, and I would say to you, they were not. They were spiritual bubbles of opportunity that burst upon you to propel you into a place you would not gone otherwise. And here you sit, old soul, and you gave permission for this. You come in with a family. And you have to deal with it. And in the case of this awakening called the shift, we are aware that families do not shift together. And that means that some of you have had some difficult decisions to make. And even as you sit here today, although you love your family, You've had to distance yourselves from them. Mm -hmm. Now you are looking at something we predicted and we told you about. A battle going on, a bridge of swords, as they say. It separates you from just about everyone else. And I want to tell you this. This is the shift. The energy you find yourself in at this moment is on purpose. And it's not easy. We've spoken of DNA many times. So often have we that there are those to this day who do not understand why Cryon would speak of biology so often. Not understanding at all. That the profundity of your DNA is spiritual in essence. And we're going to speak of that yet again. But in the DNA, you carry with you an old paradigm called karma. And you are born with it. All of you. And this is the lifetime that you change it. This is the lifetime that you shift out of karma into an area of self-empowerment where karma has no energy at all in your life. And these questions about karma have been asked so many times. I want to answer some of them. Yes, but crying, what about next time? I'm going to have to do this all over again. Because you said humans are born in karma. Now you start to understand a permanence. Something that you should be aware of. That we have not discussed before. And it has to do with DNA. 
When you retreat from this planet and you come back to my side of the veil, you assimilate the peace of God that you were and all the parts come together. And then you repeat the process of the split. Coming back to earth, you do. You can hardly wait to get back. And what you do is you pick up your ancient Akash one more time. So although the biology may be different, may be fresh, may be a different race, perhaps, even a different culture, a different gender, no matter what it is, the ancient sacred Akash remains the same. And in it comes. And it is a record of what you've done, the decisions you've made. And I want to tell you this, that dropping karma is recorded and you don't bring it back. So profound is it, I would like to tell you that in the astute group I have in front of me, even though the shift is new, there are seven of you who have come in karma clear. And you know who you are, for there was no difficulty with the family. You came into a family which was karma clear. <laughs> and that was by design. And there was no issue. They may not have been sacred thinking. They may not have been enlightened, as you would call them. But they blessed you when you made the decision you did. And You might say, how is it? that I could have had this before the shift. And I will say this, because old souls have been working toward this for a long time. It's the same reason there could be 60-year-old indigo children. <laughs> because these things do not appear on the planet in a flashbulb way. They sneak in slowly. But that is the way of it, and that is the way we've always worked. So I ought to tell you about some of the old souls in the seats here. The ones whose intuitions are especially sharp. The ones who can see the colors around me and my partner. I've been doing this a long time. And you know it, don't you? And you know who I'm talking to, don't you? <laughs> and you feel it, don't you? So many of you have had to make this shift and leave the family behind. This is a DNA permanency, and that is to say that you break karma. And when you do, it is recorded as such. And that means the next incarnation is going to be easier. But you knew that, didn't you? Or did you? So it's time to dispel that three-dimensional part of you that says, I don't want to come back. Because it's just too hard. And I'm going to tell you, dear ones, it's not going to be hard. What's the worst thing you can imagine that might happen in your life? Let's get, let's get practical. Because now I'm talking to someone here who had it happen. Don't you think we know who you were and who you are? and the potentials of what you might have chosen. All of this to get you into a place 
or you never have to experience that again. Not this time, not next time. There is a potential before you get here of what you'll do. Nothing is written in stone where you can change it anytime you want. But those light workers who will come back in a post-shift way are going to be so powerful. I want to give this to you now so that that moment, that moment which will come someday where you depart this planet, what will occur to you is this, I love this place and I'll be back. And you will be back with others who love this place. And you're going to be able to accomplish so much more without the issues that faced you this time. And that's good news. And that's in the DNA. Carried in the quantum part. You live your life. You choose things to do which then involve other human beings. Not all of you awakened recently. Some of you awakened a long time ago. But let us speak to the ones who just are working on it now. Old soul, when you are in a place where you feel comfortable with your wisdom and you don't have to figure things out anymore, you will be equal with the oldest soul in the room. For it is a quantum experience. It is not on a timeline of learning. You will remember who you are and take on the mantle of all of that which is sacred in your DNA all at once. This is to say that there are those in the room who are new at this, who can become very wise. And there'll be a tendency for others to look at you and say, how could you know what you know? You haven't done it as long as I have. And that is, that is 3D, isn't it? That's the bias you have, is it not? And it doesn't work that way in a quantum state. There are those in the room who can pick up shamanic energy within a decade. Become those you never thought you'd become. Changing your personality completely. Staying grounded at the same time. Helping humanity in ways that you cannot even imagine now. And some of you feel that. And there are those who say, I'm too old. And that will shift also. We've spoken of this so many times. The ways of telling DNA to alter the body clock. So it does not count as many days. But there is a process that I wish to explain to you in a clearer way so you will understand how this works regarding that which you call enlightenment, that which you call cellular change, that which you call healing. There's a process, and we've never discussed it until now. Let us review 
I spoke about Elijah and how Elisha watched him transform in as much as Elisha could see of his God self. He ascended. We've spoken of this so many times to show you that this was a human being putting back together the pieces and the parts that get separated at birth. And all Elijah saw was light. And he named it. The Hebrew word, Makava. Makava. It's a vehicle you ride in. And this was the energy of ascension. And yet now we tell you this is simply the DNA field fully activated. <laughs> because when you fully activate your DNA, you take a 30% operational akash and sacredness and you bring it to 100%. That is what Elijah did. When the masters walked upon the earth, the percentage of their DNA that was activated in a sacred way was in the 80s. If it gets to be 100, you're not here anymore. The parts come together. It's hard for us to give you these things for they sound pedantic. That's to say they sound super simple. It is not about percentages of activation. It's about vibratory shift, but we can only give you these things in the metaphors that my partner is being given as he speaks. Your DNA is different from person to person. And there's a field around it that's eight meters wide and the field is your consciousness. And that is the singularity of over 300 trillion parts of DNA. There's a field around you. It's a DNA field. It's a consciousness field. It is not your brain. Consciousness is not biology. It is the quantum portion of the DNA. There is a middle part, a crossover, that is partly chemical and partly quantum, and that is the non-coded protein parts of DNA, the 90% that is not understood by science is the quantum portion. Now I'm giving you this again as a review because of where this is going and what we're going to tell you about it, what you need to know because it's practical. This shift is creating opportunities of DNA change. And the opportunities come with conscious intent. When the consciousness of a human being has an epiphany, that is to say an understanding, a realization, a truth that is now manifested, an aha. There are certain attributes about it you should know. Number one, it often causes you to cry. <laughs> And I will tell you now why it does. And even in my partner's words, I want you to hear this because you are remembering who you are. And that is an amazing experience. It is the epiphany 
of remembrance of God inside. And you remember your power and you remember how you can heal yourself. You remember how you can have joy. You remember how you can change your cellular structure. You remember mastery. And you weep with understanding. Now, the human brain, human consciousness, human DNA does not have a delete key. You can't unknow it. I want you to hear me say that again. There is no way for you to delete that from your human experience. It's not a computer you're dealing with. And there is a reason why. Because that particular epiphany just changed your entire Akashic record. It changed the cellular structure. 300 trillion pieces of DNA changed with your consciousness. In a quantum state, like the crystalline grid of the earth, like the cave of creation, your DNA in an Akashic state holds vibration, holds information, and everything you do, it remembers. And there you are, knowing more than you knew a moment ago. Now let me tell you what the next step is, for this is important. First of all, consciousness just changed physics, for chemistry changed. It rearranged itself. You're not gonna see this under the microscope any more than you can see the quantumness of the three billion chemicals in DNA. It's hiding for its interdimensional. It's not a photon-related, three-dimensional, visible thing. Let me tell you something. There's going to come a day when there's an instrument that can see interdimensional energies. And when you have that, I'm going to invite you to put it on DNA first and stand back. That will be the revelation of the human genome. The patterning is there. Oh, it's there. And it's different for every human being, but it's there. And when you make a decision about your own spirituality, the pattern changes. Now, why do I tell you these things? Number one, to let you know there's a physical attribute to your decisions, and that's why you cannot you cannot undo them. <laughs> oh, you can deny them. You can pretend they did not happen. You could go into unbalance if you want to, and you'll die earlier. You can't unknow them. The truth is the truth, and it stays with you. Even what is said today as it rings true to you is part of this truth. And what happens next, we've never discussed with you. Now we get into the practical, three-dimensional cellular division. And this will explain mining the Akash. It starts with intent. Dear Spirit, show me what it is I need, which is in my Akashic record, that can be pulled forward. Is it healing? 
Is it consciousness shift? Is it a talent that I need? Is it a block that I need to get rid of? And we've explained this before. Do not go and try to speak to your DNA and pick up what you think it has. We have no idea what it has, do you? Not really, but it does. The DNA consciousness, which is apart from your consciousness, the Merkaba knows. What you are doing is speaking to your own cellular Akash, dear cells, give me what it is I need now from the Akash. If there is a disease in your body, it is cellular, it is there, it is in 3D, and you can see it under a microscope, you're asking your body to create cells that don't have it. Based upon a lifetime you lived before and you earned where you didn't have it. You're asking your body to regenerate itself slowly, cell by cell, without the disease. If you have a block, you're asking the body to regenerate consciousness without the block. What if there's something you can't forget? What if there is something that creates in you bad dreams? What if there's somebody you can't forgive? You think I don't know who's here. Well, I decided to talk to you for a moment because we love you enough to do that. Do you understand? We're not singling you out because we're not showing who you are, but you know. How would you like to have a situation where you can think about the person and never feel hatred again, never feel betrayal again, and only see appropriateness in God's love. It'd be a peaceful thing, wouldn't it? Stop the dreams, wouldn't it? Well, I want to tell you before you leave the room, how about we do it together now? If you have the courage, you say, dear cells, this is what I want. And I don't know how it's going to happen. Bring this forward in the way that you know. And I will trust that which is sacred within me and the old soul to bring it forward. And I will claim it every day. And every single day I'll feel a little bit better about it. And now I'm going to tell you how it works. There's a lot more to your body than 3D chemistry. One of the greatest profundities you have is rejuvenation. And that is another study in itself. Why does the body regenerate so poorly? Only gives you a few years here, doesn't it? Then it's over. Did you know that that is all changeable? When you look into ancient history and you learn about some of those living 900 years, do you think that that is somehow a mistake? I'll tell you, it is not a mistake. That is a cellular structure that has a much, much more efficient dividing structure than yours. 
My partner said it. Could it be that you've lost something along the way? Indeed. Indeed. Could consciousness change chemistry to the degree where you could live longer, age less, and be healthy? Yes. Why don't you do it now? Let me tell you how it works. Each cell of the human body, specific to its own organ, to its own chemical imprint, divides. And that's how you rejuvenate. Every organ of the body rejuvenates. The skin rejuvenates. Keeps you alive a very, very long time. It's designed that way. Now, there's something that goes on at the point of rejuvenation. When the cell divides, left alone, that is to say, without any consciousness intent, a process occurs anyway. There is communication on cell division all through your body, all the time. If you could slow down this communication and give it a personality or words, you'd have one cell about ready to divide, setting up the profundity of rejuvenating itself with the telomeres, the DNA, all those molecules ready to go. And at that point in time, there is an inquiry, a cellular Akashic inquiry. And it is a fraction of a second. And one cell says to that upcoming energy that is going to be its divided twin. And the question is, the same or not? The same or not? 99.9% of the time, it's the same. Without conscious intent of change, the body does what it does by itself, lives as long as it lives by itself, and will do whatever biology does by itself. But if you were to then mix it with human consciousness intent, what you do is you come right into the decision process and the inquiry is more alert. Now you might think I'm talking in circles, so I will make this more practical. My partner get this right. Let's slow it down. The human being used consciousness to say, I need help. Inside the Akash is an old soul with an old biology imprint and it's there. In every piece of DNA. Doesn't matter what the stem cell imprint is, it's there in every piece of DNA, every lifetime. And you've just given intent to change yourself, to drop the blocks, to make a healing better, to change the consciousness, perhaps to pick up a talent. And now the inquiry is more complex. Number one, it says change or not change, and it gets the signal change. It's not going to be the same. And then it says, what do we need on this division to make it incrementally 
different to pick up the things that the human gave consciousness to change. And in that moment, the cell divides in a way it hadn't before. And it starts to create what you ask for. Because DNA knows there is an intelligence within the Merkaba, within the field around you, which is the DNA field that knows all about who you were. It analyzes the intent and then starts to change every cell as it divides, every organ as it divides in a very slow process, sometimes months, sometimes years. How long does it take for a human to have new cellular structure in division? It varies depending upon the organ. But over time, every single question, millions and millions of times, the same or not, change or not. And now you know how it works. And you don't get healings instantly in this parameter. You get them incrementally. The shifts that you ask for do not happen overnight. As your cells divide and pick up that which you have asked for to mind the Akash, your consciousness continues to say, give me what it is I need. And the sales continue. It would be a mantra. Not that the body didn't hear it. But that maybe it's different the next day you ask. There are those in this room who have done this. Healed themselves of the diseases. Ask them. If some of you have been asking for things for a very long time, and I will tell you that they are happening slowly. So calm down. <laughs> and you will see this, for there'll come a day when you're starting to feel differently. And you'll say to yourself, it's working. It's working. It's no different than what you're used to when you decide that you're going to change yourself how much weight you wish to lose. And it happens so slowly, so incrementally. But when you start to see it, what do you do? You get excited. Why wait? Let's become quantum for a moment, all of us, and think what it is that you wish to accomplish in a cellular way doesn't have to be spectacular. Each and every human being here, maybe it's that you wish to feel the love of God more in your life. Maybe it's to mind the Akash and pick up, pick up a wiser human being. Maybe it's to have more energy. And that means you're going to have to go get the athlete. <laughs> and it's there. It's all there, old soul. So many lives. So many attributes. Now you're beginning to understand why they're there. Why there's so much variety. So that your, your storehouse is big. The treasure chest of life and experiences on the planet, both genders, is so amazing. Also, now you know why. And incrementally you start to be changing. Let's go there. Whatever that is, 
You visualize what you choose to become. And that is your instruction set. You don't target it to a layer of DNA. You don't target it to a thing or a place. You look at the outcome. That's the visualization. And you say to your body, I am a piece of God. And I am learning to become quantum. In this interdimensional state, I claim what I can do. Now change it. It's not a request. It's an imprint of action from the boss of the cells to the cell. Change it. Your instruction to your own body. You're changing the inquiry of cellular division. This inquiry, by the way, can be seen in science. I'm not going to tell you how, but when it is, you'll know it. Brand new discovery of how cells divide and what they do right before they do. Something they emit that has not been seen. And when this comes about, think of this day when I explained it to you. This is the decision. The same or different? The same or different? I bring you these things in love. They're just obscure enough not to be proven. <laughs> But they don't have to be, do they? Really? Because you know, in that part of your intellect, yes, your intellect, that part which weighs truth, that it is so. And the emotional body, it's known it all along. And that's enough for now. And what are you going to do with all of this? And what have you asked your body to do today? Now, I want to recall something. You can't undo it. Have you started something? Is it pure intent? Have you done it at all? The invitation is open with free will and free choice for you to change your own cellular structure. And this is for those who came in with issues and want solutions. I just gave it to you. And there it is. Your own cellular structure is going to change it. You watch it. And what it does, I want you to tell people about it. Not in an evangelistic way to say, I've discovered something that works. When asked, how is it you beat that? Why are you different? Why are you joyful? What makes you laugh so much now? What have you got that I don't? Then you can speak. It's beautiful. It speaks of the love of God in you. It speaks of what the shift is really about. Humans discovering mastery. Slowly, over generations, you will create a peaceful earth.
That is, that is the potential we have seen for 20 years. Regardless of how slow it is, or what you think you see around you in 3D, there is much going on that you have no idea about, and it's good. I'm crying of magnetic service, and I will be here in this place all night long in the morning and when you return and yet I'll also go out the door with you when you go home or when you have a meal I'll also leave with my partner you can't put me in a place because I belong with you as the peace of God that I am inside your DNA. And anytime you want to feel this, all you have to do is ask for it. And don't be surprised if the love of God flows into you in a way that makes you smile. That's what masters do. <laughs> That's what masters do. And so it is. Well, um, welcome back, everyone. Um, that was neat. The piece of DNA inside each one of us that's another's. Mm-hmm. And so, it's time because we are all servants of peace. Yes, and there's only one of us here. Have the choir, the kitty choir, with us, Mother. <laughs> Greetings, Mother. Greetings. In the light of the most radiant one, in the office of the Christ, and only in the office of the Christ, we invoke the loving energies. A state remain and the violet flame. We ask at this time for deep wisdom, 
deep connection to come forward in terms of awareness, in terms of, I guess, I am another yourself, eh? In Lakesh. In Lakesh. Greetings, Mother. Greetings, children of Ra. We are in most auspicious times. And like hmm, Lord Cryon has said, the DNA, that's the key. Hmm. The Akash quantum field. There are so many pieces this to this story all falling into place right at this time because the great bell has been struck and that sound going out across the cosmos It's a big one. The sun is the one doing what needs to be done to raise it up at this time. And we can say thank you for being here. <laughs> we knew everybody would show up. And we're taking it with us. Interesting thoughts about karma. Hmm. Things are moving instantly at this moment. Like, we keep bringing it up. We're in the fifth dimension and things move instantaneously. It's about our thoughts. We 
We know that this is the time and the place where the shift happens, like Cryon has said. And we can't give any dates, or we choose not to give dates yet. You feel it in your own being that the force is talking to you, letting you know. Mm. Starfleet Academy is in your future. Let's put it that way. story about magnetics that mm. is the key thoughts DNA magnetics like color, sound, vibration, as we all focus on the various platonic solids, the geometry of what we're made of. This gold dust pouring in from Saul. Has all of these geometry symbols contained within each particle. Wisdom of the quantum field is being fed into us every single moment at this now moment. I will say it once more. Pluto, Hades, he has returned, and 
a journey through the underworld is not what it might sound like. Well, you know, Mother, the word Hades has taken on a connotation where it's uh, similar to the word hell. And is that what we're talking about here? I know that Pluto. Yes, it is this. Uh, hmm. Story that has been circling about as a. Uh, Let's say this cosmic clock is saying we have 90 seconds to count down. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Hmm. We got all the time in the world. As this shift is going on, our DNA and all the things that are happening, it is an upgrade, as we would call it, where the quantum field can taste it, touch it, feel it. It's everywhere. And all you have to do is ask right now to, let's say, talk with the family as Cryon, Aurora Ray, many folks say since we are all family here it's this cosmic moment where we take matters into our hands because we asked Hmm. and we change it in an instant and it's happening very much so there are many changes afoot with the global scheme of things. The so-called 
leaders of this planet know their time's up. Having to make do with what's going on. We're all here. Said a lot of things, Mother. Oh, too <laughs> many thoughts that encompassed the local universe and the six other super universes. This is a whole story. And then there are remnants of other universes out there that came before the six other super universes. Nassim Harmin speaks of this. There are hmm, remnants out there who could say, Shadows, ghosts, particles of the old universes that come into this one interact with life, the universe, and everything. And we're getting in touch where it all meets in the heart of all things. We know you got lots to listen to. Rest assured, right at this time, The dark side has nowhere to go except embrace love. That's the answer. Read it. Thank you. Our most radiant one. Close, close, close. Autonize you. Listen, call us. Namaste, Mother. <laughs> Come and sit on the side of the bed, have a little chat, huh?
things do happen. been house mountain um oh. hearing the sound of the hmm I could say the hum of the universe oh that we've heard that when we were living up there the house hum that's still going strong huh all things are working and uh within normal parameters the subetheric generators are chugging along at quantum light speed I could say oh everything is well Taos is a very unique space it is indeed yeah we lived up at the top of the mountain mountain yeah for some time still lots of snow (laughs) yeah well when we first first came to look at that place that's what was up there (laughs) yeah and then when it would warm up we'd walk from there another two thousand feet up to two and a half thousand feet up to thirteen almost yeah thirteen thousand feet yeah. That's another world. Um, so what was the message though? Did you get something special? Just the message I heard is allow Pluto to transform every one of our lives right now. Because it's about that magic of what we don't exactly see, but it shows up. And that which might seem invisible is totally visible. So am I playing any new? Yes, from the computer, since Dish Network is still... uh out there in the ether somewhere. It went off on a Saturday night. So it'll be a... uh, Well, it's the end of... This is the the seventh day, so... Rama said that some of his folks... From Faction 3, we're suggesting this should be back sometime on this weekend. Well, at least that's a possibility, is what they said. 
Okay, here we go. Here we go. Let's do democracy now. at the beginning. Is that the beginning? I'm not sure if it is. This is free speech. So it might be It has to be democracy now. I gotta go there then. on everybody. I was working on it. Okay.
Netanyahu is meeting with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in the UK today as he arrived at 10 Downing Street. Netanyahu is greeted by a protester, jeers and calls of shame and traitor. Meanwhile, another Palestinian was killed Thursday as Ramadan was starting by Israeli forces during a raid in the occupied West Bank. 25-year-old Amir Abu Khadija is at least the 85th Palestinian to be killed by Israeli forces in 2023 or Israeli settlers. In France, an estimated three and a half million people took to the streets Thursday in a nationwide general strike to protest Emmanuel, um, President Emmanuel Macron's deeply unpopular move to raise the age of retirement from 62 to 64. His government forced the legislation through the National Assembly using a constitutional clause to bypass a parliamentary vote. This is a protester in Nice. I'm on strike to protest against the pension reform, but mainly also against what is happening in the government with the denial of democracy, which is quite significant right now. They are not listening to the people anymore, and it's important to us to be here so our voice can be heard and to say what is happening is not normal. If the people are against the reform, they should be heard. After headlines, we'll go to France for the latest. The United States and Canada have reached an agreement to block migrants from seeking asylum if they're apprehended attempting to cross the U.S. northern border into Canada. President Joe Biden, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau are expected to announce the deal in Ottawa today during Biden's first official trip to Canada since taking office. Canada's also reportedly agreed to allow up to 15,000 Central American migrants into the country over the next year. Tens of thousands of migrants have been making their way to Canada as the U.S. enforces harsh immigration policies. Advocates denounce the move as Biden's latest attempt to discourage people from even attempting to trek north for refuge. Biden and Trudeau are also expected to discuss the worsening gang violence and humanitarian crisis in Haiti as the U.S. has been pushing the Canadian government to lead a multinational armed intervention of Haiti. The Pentagon says it's carried out multiple airstrikes inside Syria. This, according to U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who said oh, the overnight attacks were in response to a drone attack by Iran-backed fighters that killed a U.S. military contractor, wounded another, and wounded five U.S. troops as well. The U.K.-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said the U.S. airstrikes killed 11 Iranian-backed fighters in three locations, though those reports could not be confirmed. Congress has not formally authorized U.S. military action in Syria. The last year, a majority of both Republicans and Democrats in the House voted down a resolution to withdraw all remaining U.S. troops from Syria. The U.S. strikes came after Israeli warplanes bombed the international airport in the northern Syrian city of Aleppo Wednesday, damaging equipment and bringing flights to a halt. It was Israel's second attack on Aleppo's main airport this month. In other news from Syria, reports emerged Thursday that Saudi Arabia and Syria are nearing a deal in Russian brokered talks to restore diplomatic ties that were cut off in 2012 as Saudi Arabia backed Syrian rebel fighters in the country's brutal civil war. In India, lawmaker and opposition leader Rahul Gandhi has been disqualified from parliament and sentenced to two years in prison after he was convicted for criticizing Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Gandhi was found guilty of defamation for saying at a 2019 campaign rally, quote, why do all thieves have Modi as their surname? Gandhi was expected to run against Modi in 2024. 
Back in the United States on Capitol Hill, TikTok CEO Shozi Chu was grilled by House lawmakers for over five hours on the app's ties to the Chinese government, data practices, and effects on children's mental health. This is Democratic Florida Congress member Darren Soto questioning Chu. So, Mr. Chu, would TikTok be prepared to divest from ByteDance and uh, Chinese Communist Party ties if the Department of Treasury instructed you all to do so? Uh, Congressman, I said in my opening statement, I think we are need to address the problem of privacy. I agree with you. I don't think ownership is the issue here. With a lot of respect, American social companies don't have a good track record with data privacy and user security. I mean, look at Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. This comes as a number of progressive lawmakers are speaking out against what they see as politically motivated attempts to ban or scapegoat TikTok, saying it's driven by dangerous anti-Chinese sentiment. This is New York Democrat Jamal Bowman speaking at a rally earlier this week. We can keep TikTok, we can protect freedom of speech, and we could deal with the privacy concerns at the same time. We could do both, and right now we're not trying to do both. Meanwhile, in Utah, Republican Governor Spencer Cox signed sweeping social media legislation Thursday that requires anyone 18 or younger to get explicit parental consent to use apps such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, though it's unclear how this will be enforced. Critics warn the law could cause more or harm to marginalized teens and children for whom social media can be a lifeline, including LGBTQ minors who access vital support and information online. Georgia and Iowa have become the latest states to enact anti-trans laws. On Thursday, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed a bill banning gender-affirming surgeries and hormone replacement therapies for transgender youth under the age of 18. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a similar bill Wednesday, along with another measure banning trans students from entering school bathrooms or changing rooms that match their gender identities. This comes as World Athletics, the global governing body for track and field, voted Thursday to ban trans women from elite competitions if they transitioned after puberty. Advocates of the anti-trans policy claim trans women athletes have a physical advantage over cisgender women, but science refutes that. A report published in 2017 in the journal Sports Medicine finds there's, quote, no direct or consistent research, unquote, showing trans athletes have an advantage over others. A Michigan court has ordered the parents of the Oxford High School mass shooter to stand trial for manslaughter. Ethan Crumbly was just 15 years old at the time of the attack last November, which killed four students and injured six others. On Thursday, the Michigan Court of Appeals ruled there's enough evidence to bring Jennifer and James Crumbly, his parents, to trial after they gave their son easy access to a gun failed to inform the school, and failed to stop the massacre despite clear warning signs. Meanwhile, in Colorado, the Denver Public School District voted unanimously Thursday to temporarily suspend its ban on armed guards and police officers in schools. The ban had been in place since 2021 after a wave of protests against police brutality erupted following the murder of George Floyd. This comes after two faculty members at Denver's East High School were shot and wounded Wednesday by a 17-year-old with a handgun. Police say they found the team dead of a self inflicted gunshot wound. The shooting came just over a month after another shooting at the same school fatally wounded 16-year-old Luis Garcia. That prompted a massive march from Denver's East High to the nearby state capital. 
and in California. About 60,000 education workers have ended a three-day strike at the Los Angeles Unified School District without an agreement on a new union contract. The strike prompted Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass to join contract talks as a mediator after district officials failed to reach an agreement with the union following more than a year of negotiations. SEIU Local 99 says many of its members who work as bus drivers, custodians, and teachers' aides earn poverty wages of roughly $12 per hour in one of the most expensive cities in the United States. This is Jason Terrell Ronhell, an English teacher at Roosevelt High School and winner of the 2022 California Teacher of the Year Award. I'm a second generation teacher. My parents taught in LAUSD. They struck in 1989 and walked the line. I'm here proudly in my second strike with my SEIU brothers and sisters. We're demanding a living living wage for them. They're not asking for a million dollars. They're not asking to be millionaires. They're asked to be lifted out of poverty. And in a district that has a $4.9 billion surplus in the richest state in the nation that pays their superintendent $440,000 a year, I think we can afford it. I think we can show them that they deserve this respect for them and for our students. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show in France, where unions say more than three million people took to the streets in a nationwide general strike Thursday to protest President Emmanuel Macron's deeply unpopular move to unilaterally raise the retirement age from 62 to 64 without giving the French parliament a chance to vote on the plan. On Monday, Macron survived a vote of no confidence by just nine votes. In Bordeaux on Thursday, the town hall was set on fire. And in Paris, police fired tear gas at protesters who included transportation workers, garbage collectors, teachers, students, and more. We're here today because it's out of the question to once again raise the retirement age. You have to understand that some people work in difficult conditions. And today, these people are told that not only do they have to work longer, but also nothing prevents the government in the future to restart this type of bill. It's time for them to understand that people also want to enjoy their lives. We're not here to die on the job. We're here to be able to enjoy life one day, too. As protests continue, a visit by British King Charles to France has just been postponed. Striking workers had said they'd refuse to roll out the red carpet for him. France's eight largest unions have called another nationwide protest for this Tuesday. For more, we go to Marseille, France, to speak with the journalist Cole Stangler, whose guest essay in the New York Times today is headlined, France is furious. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Cole. Can you describe the level of mass protest and disgust in the streets right now throughout France and talk about how this was pushed through. Yeah, so uh, you know, I think there's really two things uh, going on here if you want to simplify it uh, as you were just as you were just explaining. You have on the one hand this this pension reform that's extremely unpopular j- just on itself by, on, on the merits. Um, polls show about uh, anywhere from two thirds to, to seven out of 10 French people have opposed this reform from the very beginning. Uh, so going back to January at the very first protest that we saw, um, they see it as unfair, hurting the, the, the least well off in French society, disproportionately hurting manual workers, hurting women. Um, so a lot of opposition to the reform uh, itself going on now for two months. We've had this wave of, of, of mobilization, wave of strikes. And then, as you were mentioning, uh, what has sort of energized the movement further is the way that the government has gotten this reform done, the way they've gotten it across the finish line. Last Friday, 
there was supposed to be a vote in the National Assembly uh, on this unpopular bill. Uh, the government, when they realized they didn't have the votes to actually get it approved in the National Assembly, uh, deployed this uh, a constitutional measure that allows them to approve the vote with approve the bill without a vote uh, in in, in uh, Parliament. And so then on Monday, Macron survived this motion of no confidence. So in theory, uh, this bill is is now going to be taking effect. Uh, there's a couple of ways to, to perhaps block it, which we can maybe get into. But that that the way the government has carried out this reform, I think, has 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 given the movement new life. Uh, it's why unions have called called for another day of mobilization uh, on Thursday, and it's why we have another one set up next week because people see that as as, as really unfair. Not only uh, is the government trying to do this this pension reform that people see as 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 fundamentally unfair. Um, but they're ignoring uh, historically large protests, even by France, by French standards. They're ignoring uh, the opinion polls. They're ignoring moderate labor unions that have said, let's negotiate something. Um, and so all of this is, is fueling this movement. And, and right now, uh, it feels very similar to, to the Yellow Vest movement uh, back in late 2018, early 2019, where you have this government that, that doesn't seem to understand the, the anger that, that it's unleashed. So can you talk about the ways where it's possible this would be rolled back, Cole. Yeah, so there's there's a precedent that, that a lot of people have in their minds, which is the uh, 2006 youth employment contract. Uh, at the time, uh, you had mass mobilization from, from student unions, uh, from labor unions uh, to, to oppose this reform. The National Assembly actually passed this bill in February uh, 2006. The movement continued, and then uh, a couple months later, Later, the prime minister, uh, under the guidance of then President Jacques Chirac, uh, thought maybe this was not the best time to be approving this extremely polarizing, unpopular um, uh, law that was creating mass mass protests. And so the government actually uh, d- did not uh, apply the law that had been passed, and they actually then uh, the National Assembly passed a law repealing it. Um, so that's one method. That's one route, and that's why we had protests that are continuing. It's why we have unions that are saying, you know, this isn't over yet trying to give the government uh, a sort of exit ramp if they wanted to de-escalate things. That, that's one route. The other route, uh, the, the most significant route would be the French Constitutional Council, the equivalent, uh, uh, rough equivalent of, of the Supreme Court uh, examining this law and deciding that, uh, deciding to invalidate parts or, or all of the bill. There's a lot of questions over that specific measure that the government has deployed, again, to get this bill across the finish line, Article 49.3 of the French Constitution. Uh, critics say that it wasn't really meant for a reform uh, of this nature. The government attached this massive pension reform to a very particular budget bill. And so there's a, a sort of technical argument to be made that uh, th- this article was applied uh, uh, inappropriately. And you know, the, the, the Constitutional Council will be meeting as well amid this uh, you know, upheaval, amid these, these mass protests that, as you mentioned, are not dying out. We have another wave scheduled uh, for next week. And who is supporting the president in this? I mean, clearly, overwhelmingly, the population is against this. Emmanuel Macron has a, a base of voters that, that that's very real. Uh, I don't want to, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't forget that uh, the the Macronist base tends to be uh, wealthier. They tend to be older voters. They tend to vote more as well. Uh, we we saw this in the legislative elections uh, last summer. Uh, so you have a, a small chunk of, of of the French population, about a third, according to polls, that supports this reform. But uh, but they're really in the minority. And, and I think if you're looking forward to, if we're looking ahead to sort of who's going to benefit uh, from this, I think it's important to stress uh, as well that you know if you look at France from abroad, there's often a tendency to to, to look at simply Emmanuel Macron, the president, and then 
his opposition uh, on the far right, so represented by Marine Le Pen. It should be stressed that Le Pen and the National Rally have played effectively no role in this protest movement. The, the movement is led by labor unions, uh, going from moderate labor unions to more militant uh, left-wing labor unions, and it's being led by the parties uh, of the left. I think it's an important point to, to stress here. People that, that sort of expected or, or thought that maybe the French left was dead or that labor unions in France couldn't mobilize anymore have been proven wrong uh, by this movement. You have a mass movement that, that's really that's being led by labor that has shown it continues to have this sort of cultural appeal, um, this sort of power that to, to, to mobilize uh, the, the French workforce. Well, Cole Stangler, we want to thank you so much for being with us. Paris-based journalist speaking to us, though, from Marseille. Coming up, Congressmember Rokhana on the banking crisis, on the attempts from Republicans to Democrats to ban TikTok and more. Stay with us. Number nine, Menuet Pampo, the Orchestra Nacional de Leon, and Leonard Slatkin this week. Concert goers threw coins and booed musicians of the orchestra as the musicians read out a union statement about President Macron's plans to postpone the pension age in France by two more years. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We're joined now by the Democratic Congressmember Ro Khanna of Silicon Valley of California to talk about the banking crisis, the attempts to ban TikTok, um, East Palestine, and more. Congressmember Khanna recently joined Senator Elizabeth Warren, Congressmember Katie Porter, and others to push for stronger banking regulations following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Khanna has criticized fellow Democrats who supported a 2018 bill that weakened Dodd-Frank, the landmark regulatory reform passed in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. Executives from Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank were among those who successfully lobbied to weaken rules that may have prevented their collapse. Silicon Valley Bank is based in Rokana's district in California. Congressmember Khanna, welcome back to Democracy Now. What needs to happen, not only with SVB and Signature, but overall, how can the regulations be tightened? Well, thanks for having me back. We need to regulate large regional banks the same way that we regulate the big four banks. I remember when the Silicon Valley Bank executives were in my office in 2018, pushing for deregulation. I voted against that deregulation. I believe that the deregulation was a cause of the bank failure. You would have had liquidity tests, you would have had stress tests. Now I know Secretary Yellen has said, maybe those tests would not have captured the liquidity challenges with the rapid 
rise in interest rates. First of all, that's a problem with the tests if they're not capturing that. But regardless of whether the tests would have captured that, it would have sent a signal to the regulators to pay more attention to what was going on in Silicon Valley Bank, and that would have prevented the gross mismanagement. Instead, what we said is, if you're one of these regional banks like Silicon Valley Bank, you have carte blanche to do whatever you want uh, without much regulatory oversight. It was a colossal mistake. We need to have those regulations back. On Monday, ABC News reported the Fed was aware of Silicon Valley Bank's problems uh, and they warned them. But what do warnings mean? Where are the concrete regulations and what is your critique of the Federal Reserve and, uh, uh, and Jerome Powell? Well, the critique of uh, Jerome Powell, with due respect, is that he missed the inflation early on and then he's gone from zero to 60 with very rapid interest rate hikes that has created some of this challenge. Now, I don't want to exonerate or excuse the bank management. They were greedy. They were in long-term bonds for a slightly higher interest rate with no hedge on it. And they had large wealthy depositors with no diversification. So the first blame is with the bank executives, but the Fed's rapid increase of interest rates contributed. And the fact that the Fed had this warning uh, without enforcement was a problem, but that's because of the weeding of the Dodd-Frank regulations. Ultimately, in my view, it's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, that's supposed to be regulating these banks. Uh, and they would have much more authority if they had Dodd-Frank type regulations. So you have uh, the San Francisco-based bank, First Republic, uh, um, in big crisis right now, being relegated to junk. Um, and so you have a lot of people who are saying, well, we've got to just invest in the largest banks, calling them the most stable. At the same time, you have a massive climate protest this week across the country where people are uh, cutting up their credit cards to these banks because of their fossil fuel promotion. So... Just asking, you are talking about shoring up community banks. How do you do that now? And how do you tell people that where they're banking, if it's outside the big ones of Citibank and Chase and Bank of America, are safe? I mean, we need to protect community banks. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Otherwise, all of the money is going to go into the big four banks. And that's going to be bad for regional economic development uh, or for some of the causes that you're talking about if the power is all consolidated with the big four banks. The first point is in the last 10 years of the 73 bank failures in almost all of them, I think in 72 or 73 of them, the depositors have been guaranteed. So in our recent history, depositors are guaranteed. What I have said is that we should say that depositors in this country will be uh, guaranteed, at least for the next uh, year or two. And how are we going to pay for that? We're going to pay for that with a bank fee, a bank premium, and require accounts over 250000 to have a mandatory fee uh, to be able to pay for that insurance. Right now, it's Basically, like you've got these wealthy account holders, people have a million, two million dollars. Uh, I analogize them to uninsured drivers. They're out there. They don't have any insurance. If they cause harm, it's the taxpayer that ends up uh, doing the deposit guarantee. We ought to have a mandatory fee over 250000 and then be able to guarantee those depositors. So as we talk about uh, the horrors of capitalism right now, um, uh, 
I wanted to go to your vote on the horrors of socialism, so-called. In early February, Republicans in Congress had to vote to denounce the horrors of socialism, specifically referring to it in that way. Congress member Khanna, you were the national co-chair of a socialist candidate for president, <laughs> right, of Bernie Sanders. And yet, unlike AOC, unlike um, even Steny Hoyer, like Rashida Tlaib, you actually voted to support this to surprise of many. Well, it's a fair question. I have always called myself an FDR Democrat. I have tried to make the case that Medicare for all, free public college, universal child care, a livable wage are policies that are not just just, but are that, are that are gonna lead to economic growth, that are gonna lead to entrepreneurship, that are gonna lead to innovation. Every time we talk about child care at $10 a day, the Republicans say, well, what about Stalin? What about Lenin? What about Pol Pot? And that is a rhetorical tactic that doesn't solve people's problems. What I have tried to do is frame progressive principles as consistent with the free enterprise system of the United States as Hamilton, as FDR did. And that's why I voted that way. But I understand that people also voted a different way and I respect that vote. I wanna turn to TikTok. On Thursday, the TikTok CEO, Shoji Chu, was grilled by House lawmakers for over five hours on the app's ties to the Chinese government, data practices, its effects on children's mental health. The hearing took place just days after the Biden administration demanded that the Chinese-owned TikTok be sold or else face a national ban in the United States. During his opening statement, the TikTok CEO, Chu, vowed to protect user data of American users. This is what he said. We have heard important concerns about the potential for unwanted foreign access to US data and potential manipulation of the TikTok US ecosystem. Our approach has never been to dismiss or trivialize any of these concerns. We have addressed them with real action. Now that's what we've been doing for the last two years, building what amounts to a firewall that seals off protected US user data from unauthorized foreign access. The bottom line is this, American data stored on American soil by an American company overseen by American personnel. We call this initiative Project Texas. That's where Oracle is headquartered. Today, US TikTok data is stored by default in Oracle service. Only vetted personnel operating in a new company called TikTok US Data Security can control access to this data. So that's the TikTok CEO. Uh, Word is that um, the House Speaker and Democrats and Republicans are going to put forward a vote to ban TikTok unless it's sold to I don't know if it's just an American or a non-Chinese corporation. Um, Democratic Congress member Jamal Bowman of New York wasn't in that hearing yesterday, but he's been one of the sole lawmakers to defend TikTok. This is what he says. So we're talking about free speech for everyday Americans. We're talking about small business owners who use TikTok to grow their business. And my question is, and we're gonna pivot to the other part of the conversation, why the hysteria and the panic and the targeting of TikTok? As we know, Republicans in particular have been sounding the alarm, creating a red scare around China. So 
Can you answer that question? You are now on the new select committee on China. Are we seeing a kind of convergence right now of an anti-China hysteria, um, as well as this deep concern um, about protecting children? All of this brought out yesterday, but all being laid on TikTok. The Boston Globe has an editorial today uh, saying that the answer is not going after TikTok, but regulating these social media companies. I mean, there are two different points. If we want to protect our young uh, young kids and teenagers, absolutely, we need broader social media reform. One third of uh, American teenage girls have contemplated suicide. One of the causes of that is their addiction to social media, which is like the worst experience in junior high on steroids often. And so I have called for having a standard that these social media platforms need to consider the harm to adolescents and the FTC should be regulating them. They shouldn't be able to have uh, algorithms that get people addicted or that cause uh, mental or emotional harm. That has to be broad based on all social media. But TikTok genuinely has separate concerns and there are two concerns. One is frankly reciprocity. China does not allow Twitter, Facebook, Amazon, Google, YouTube, any American company to even have the slightest entrance into China. So if we're going to have trade, there has to be reciprocity of trade. The second point is that there is evidence that TikTok, while they have not compromised American data, have had Chinese CCP officials uh, in the uh, app uh, and prioritized or deprioritized information about human rights with the Uyghurs, uh, prioritized or deprioritized information uh, that the Chinese Communist government wants about sensitive uh, human rights and other issues. What if the Chinese Communist Party were to do to TikTok what they did to Jack Ma or other uh, tech leaders in China? I think those are legitimate concerns and that is not hysteria. I've affirmed the one China policy and I've said that we need to be tough on trade, uh, but also still have dialogue. But it seems to me an unnecessary risk to have the CCP have control in any way over ByteDance and TikTok. You recently traveled to Taiwan where you met with the Taiwanese president, Tsai Ing-wen. Um, how concerned are you that these congressional visits could further escalate tension between the United States and China and also the United States pledging hundreds of millions of dollars of weapons to Taiwan? At the same time, uh, President Biden is uh, drawing a line in the sand when it comes to China militarily supporting Russia in the Ukraine war. Well, it depends on, I think, what members of Congress say when they go to Taiwan. I was struck that the president of Taiwan, President Tsai, and the KMT, which is more sympathetic to the Chinese mainland and the TPP, all had converged on a simple policy, and that is they wanted Taiwan to be prepared for its defense. The, they, the Taiwanese have moved conscription from four months to 12 months. They wanted aid with defense from the United States. But at the same time, they recognize that 40% of Taiwanese exports are to the mainland of China. Uh, and they wanted an affirmation of the one China policy, which is that the situation between Taiwan and China should be resolved through peaceful dialogue uh, between uh, both parties and then affirmation of the status quo. 
And my view is as long as we operate under that framework, as long as we our policy is not getting ahead of Taiwan, then we can uh, still have peace in that region uh, while being uh, strong and standing up for the values of democracy and freedom that Taiwan represents. Let's go directly to the Ukraine war, but on Capitol Hill. Uh, peace activists with the group Code Pink repeatedly interrupted uh, the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken Wednesday as he testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. This is Code Pink founder Medea Benjamin. The American So that's peace activist Medea Benjamin. Um, if you could respond to what she's saying, where are the negotiations? China has put forward a peace plan. Where is the Biden administration peace plan putting uh, being put forward? Do you think um, the Biden administration is doing enough to uh, find a way to negotiate an end to this war? I uh, actually respect both what President Biden and Secretary Blinken have done to mitigate the risks of nuclear war. The president has been quite judicious in not wanting to escalate tensions uh, with the Soviet Union. When Putin was threatening nuclear weapons, the president did not respond in kind. He has been cautious, criticized by Republicans on the Hill in not having weapons to Ukraine that would be offensive, that would have any risk of getting into Russian territory. Where I think China has missed uh, the the uh, opportunity for global leadership is they have still not denounced Putin's clear aggression and war in Ukraine. I mean, they, they uh, have no legitimacy, in my view, to offer a peace plan if they are unwilling to say what Putin did was wrong. And if Xi Jinping is meeting with Putin over 40 times in the last decade and saying he's one of our closest friends and unwilling to criticize what Putin did, that does not give them much of a moral legitimacy for a peace plan. I think where we should have a peace plan is uh, it clearly saying that Putin was wrong, it was unprovoked. Uh, we wanna have the territorial sovereignty uh, of Ukraine and stand up for Ukraine, but we need to have at the same time dialogue. And you may have countries uh, like India or others uh, that could be better brokers. Now, India at least has condemned Putin's uh, invasion. Uh, but my view of it is that we have to support Ukraine while working at the same time to keep the channels of dialogue open to have some just peace. Uh, and uh, I was fine and, and supported Secretary Blinken meeting Lazarov in India. Uh, it, it, we should continue. I just wanted to say a comment. This is so interesting right now. Um, what he's saying that we need to have dialogue. Yes. Yet. We know that both sides are being played against the people in the middle. <laughs> you want to say something about that, Rama? I could just say they know they're up against the forces of light who have said, let us put an end to war forever uh, yeah 
Um, that still looks very much like it's going to require intervention. Yeah. <clears throat> In our request for assistance, Rama found a real starship that was pretty, pretty uh, close to what, it wasn't as big as the New Jerusalem, but it was, it was a real starship. And yeah. You get an impression that's a lot different than uh, imaginary starships in the sky. And the other thing is that, uh, I mean, we're being forced to, to think. We are. We are not getting away with, uh, oh, well, it's not my job. Oh, it's our job. It's all of our jobs. And it's pretty amazing. And this this one here, Mr. Khan, what's his first name again? Ro Khanna. Ro Khanna, right. Um, he comes on the Tom Hartman show every Friday. Or he used to. It's not so often as much before now. But um, he does have a good balance in how to make comments. So even as the people are ignorant of... I just got to go back and say, you know, the evil is beyond our imagination that's going on. And it must be extricated because... Uh, just because we don't get to have peace through that modus operandi, as you will. And so we're going to listen on and uh, let's do a little of the blazing of the violet fire to call in the next moment of intervention. Thank you for listening to me. You. The dialogue uh, while saying that Putin was clearly in the wrong in this case. Finally, we just have 30 seconds, but President Biden has approved the massive ConocoPhillips oil and gas development in Alaska. The $7 billion Willow Project expected to produce 180,000 barrels of oil per day, adding some 240 million metric tons of greenhouse gas pollution to the atmosphere over 30 years. You're a Congress member from California. You certainly know the effects of the climate catastrophe, and not just in California. California and Malawi and Madagascar, um, all over the world. Um, your response to this approval? It's a colossal mistake by the administration. It is a carbon bomb. There is no justification for it. It's undermining the very goals of the Inflation Reduction Act, the largest climate package. It is going to be alienating young voters, the very voters that uh, admired the president's uh, work on climate and on student debt relief. Uh, I, I have advocated very strongly, as have many progressives, that this is just a wrong decision. It's a mistake, and it sends a horrible message to young voters and climate activists around the country. Silicon Valley Congress member Ro Khanna, Congress member from California, deputy whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, uh, as well as on the House Select Committee on China. Thank you so much for being with us. When Thank we you. come back, investigative journalist James Bamford reveals how Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu clandestinely tried to help Donald Trump get elected in 2016. Why don't we know more about this? Stay with us. My red. 
Palestinian singer and songwriter Rasha Nahas. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As mass protests rock Israel against the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his plan to overhaul Israel's judiciary, we turn now to look at how Netanyahu secretly tried to help Donald Trump win the 2016 election. That's the focus of a new cover story in the nation headlined, The Candidate and the Spy. Longtime award-winning investigative journalist James Bamford reveals Netanyahu dispatched a secret Israeli agent to the United States in the spring of 2016 to meet with advisors to Trump and offer to share secret intelligence with the campaign against Hillary Clinton. The story is based in part on a series of text messages sent by the Israeli secret agent to Trump advisor Roger Stone. In one message from August 12, 2016, the agent wrote, quote, Roger, hello from Jerusalem. Any progress? He's going to be defeated unless we intervene. We have critical intel. The key is in your hands, the text read. Later, the agent wrote, quote, October surprise is coming. James Bamford writes, quote, while the American media and political system fixated on Russian President Vladimir Putin and his armies of cyber warriors, trolls and bots, what was completely missed in the Russiagate investigation of 2016 was the Israeli connection. No details of it were ever revealed in the heavily redacted Mueller report or in the Senate Intelligence Committee report. James Bamford joins us now from Washington, D.C., author of many books. His latest, Spy Fail, Foreign Spies, Mole Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. Jim, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Take us on this journey. Talk about what happened, why we um, know a lot about Russia, um, or at least the uh, a lot is made of in going after Russia, saying it tried to overthrow the 2016 election or spin it for, for Trump. What actually is documented here is Israel's involvement. And yet Mueller report, Senate Intelligence Committee, it looks like they knew but just didn't want to talk about it. Well, exactly. The uh, documents I got are from the FBI. There are the FBI affidavit about this. There's documents, uh, uh, numerous uh, quotes from the secret agent, the Israeli secret agent sent by Netanyahu, talking about the PM, which the FBI uh, agent uh, indicates uh, was the prime minister. And... Uh, uh, lays out uh, a months-long plot, basically, from uh, May of 2016 till the fall of 2016, right up to the election. Um, this was investigated by the Mueller uh, team. It was the Mueller team, the Mueller FBI agents, who actually uh, got a search warrant for the secret agent's uh, communications. And that's what these documents are. These are the basis of that investigation from the FBI and the Mueller uh, uh, team, but all this was redacted from the uh, from the final Mueller report. All they focused on was Russia, and in the end, they basically gave uh, Russia a, a bill of health. They said that there was no collusion between uh, Russia and uh, the Trump campaign. Uh, they left out a little bit uh, from the report, and that's that there was collusion, but it was from Netanyahu and Israel. 
uh, to the Trump campaign and went on for months and months and and involved uh, providing the uh, Trump campaign with secret access to the uh, uh, information that the Russians were picking up from Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC. In other words, the Israelis, they have a very, very sophisticated uh, eavesdropping organization, Unit 8200, it's their equivalent of the NSA. And they were eavesdropping on the Russians and eavesdropping on Wikigate uh, and they were, and Julian Assange, and they were picking up all this information that the Russians were getting from uh, the Clinton campaign and the DNC. And rather than giving it to the president of the United States, to Obama, uh, which is what an ally is supposed to do, especially one that gets $4 billion a year, um, they instead uh, were giving it to the uh, Trump campaign, secretly giving it to the Trump campaign in order to get concessions from Trump when he became president. And hopefully they were going to help make him well, president. Let's talk about that moment, why this was so critical for Netanyahu. Talk about the quartet, the direction Obama and the quartet were going in and why Netanyahu wanted Trump to win. Well, a key reason he wanted uh, Trump to win was because Trump uh, vowed to uh, throw out the nuclear agreement with Iran that uh, the Obama administration worked very hard on and was very useful to the United States. And uh, Netanyahu didn't like it. He didn't want it. He uh, wanted Trump to uh, get rid of it, and Trump uh, was planning to do that. But he wanted a second thing, too. The Obama administration was putting a great deal of pressure on uh, on Netanyahu to work out an agreement with the Palestinians over Jerusalem, uh, which is divided. Uh, uh, the final agreement over Jerusalem was going to be divided between the Palestinians and Israel. Israel wanted uh, Netanyahu wanted the entire uh, city to be Israeli, and so they were putting pressure on the Trump campaign, saying, uh, "Look, uh, this is what we want, and we can help." Trump get elected, uh, but we have to have a basically have to have an agreement that he's going to help us on this uh, uh, issue over the uh, sovereignty of Jerusalem. And uh, in the very end, uh, that's what happened. Uh, there was a secret meeting, or at least a private meeting, in the uh, Trump penthouse in New York, just between uh, uh, Netanyahu and and Trump. And after it was over, Trump came out, and that's what he said. He said that uh, uh, if I'm elected president, I'm uh, going to move the uh, U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and declare Jerusalem the capital of Israel. So um, uh, the Israelis got what they wanted, and Trump got what he wanted, and the American public was uh, uh, screwed in the meantime. Uh, Jim Bamford, in your piece, The Candidate and the Spy, you write, although the affidavit did not specify any individual defendants, the numerous potential criminal charges laid out in the FBI documents spoke to the seriousness of the Israeli plot. They included violation of the foreign contributions ban, which prohibits foreigners from contributing money or something of value to federal, state, or local elections. Other charges included aiding and abetting conspiracy.
conspiracy, wire fraud, attempted conspiracy to commit wire fraud, still another charge on authorized access to a protected computer, indicates Israel may have conducted illegal hacking operations. Can you talk more about this? And the man who is the spy in that title of your piece, married to what, Netanyahu's cousin? Well, yeah, they don't name a uh, the, the spy. The spy's name is redacted, uh, but there are a lot of similarities with one of Trump's closest associates, uh, Isaac Moho, and uh, he's a very shadowy character. The uh, he's described as very discreet, and uh, Netanyahu uh, sends him on secret missions various places. So I just mentioned that that happens to be a very uh, close associate who goes on secret missions for. Netanyahu, at least according to the uh, Israeli uh, newspaper Haratz, the well-known and highly respected Haratz. Um, so he's a candidate, but I don't know if he was a secret agent or not. I'm just mentioning him as one of the people that Netanyahu does send out on secret missions. So, um, you know, I think it would be very important for the U.S. government to identify this person who is trying to... Uh, uh, interfere and, and uh, throw the election uh, in, in favor of Trump. Uh, um, you also comment that it's not only the United States that the Netanyahu government uh, was involved with trying to interfere with the elections. You talk about Latin America, Africa. Talk about this Archimedes group. Well, uh, just to back up a little bit, uh, just recently, uh, in the last few weeks, there was an enormous uh, investigation that was revealed uh, throughout much of the world, actually. Uh, uh, and it was a, an eight-month investigation by journalists from some of the most respected newspapers in the world, including Haratz in Israel, uh, La, uh, uh, Pais in, uh, in, in Spain, The Observer, and, and The Guardian in London, uh, the uh, uh, Der Spiegel in, in Germany and uh, um, uh, French newspaper. Uh, anyway, there, it was an enormous investigation, went on for eight months. And the focus was Israel um, interfering in elections around the world. And they came out with an enormous amount of uh, detail, including undercover investigations of Israeli uh, uh, activity um, trying to overthrow or rather uh, throw elections in Latin America, uh, Africa, and uh, according to one of the members of the, uh, of the group uh, in the United States. So uh, this has been going on for a very long time. It basically identified Israel as, a, as the world's center for uh, election interference and uh, or secret election interference. And uh, Archimedes Group was one of those companies uh, earlier on, before this investigation, that was identified as a company uh, that Israel was using to, um, or at least it was a private company with ties to the Israeli intelligence that was using uh, uh, a lot of fraud and other aspects to throw elections in various parts of the world. 30, I think there were 13 countries or something it was involved in. So this has been going on for a long time. Israel has been involved in enormous amounts of covert operations and intelligence operations in the U.S just in the last seven years. Uh, I, half my book deals with Israeli uh, intelligence and covert operations in the United States. But there is a determination by all parties involved, the, uh, the administration, Congress, and the mainstream media, 
to completely uh, use blinders when it comes to Israel. So finally, while the U.S. media fixated on Russian interference in the 2016 election, another campaign to influence the outcome by Israel went unreported. That was 2016. Now we're moving in on the 2024 election. And you have the prime minister of Israel is again, Benjamin Netanyahu. And again, President Trump is running for president. Your final thoughts, Jim. Well, it's going to be a deja vu all over again. It's going to be a repeat since we have the same players in the same positions and the same media that pays no attention to anything that Israel does that's questionable in the United States and the Congress and the administration that completely turn a blind eye to Israeli intelligence. So, yeah, we're here again, and it just can repeat itself with the same players doing the same play all over again, unless there's congressional investigation or hard-hitting reporting by the mainstream media, and uh, 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 further investigation by the FBI. Well, Jim Bamford, we want to have you back on to talk about your book, but we want to thank you so much for being with us now. James Bamford, longtime investigative journalist, will link to your new cover story for The Nation, The Candidate and The Spy. We end today's show with an update on protests against Cop City in Atlanta and a dramatic hearing Thursday where a judge denied bond for many of the people jailed since March 5th when they were indiscriminately arrested at a music festival against the proposed police training facility would be the largest in the country. It's in the Wilani Forest and accused of vandalism and arson at a construction site a mile away. They're charged with domestic terrorism based on evidence like muddy clothes. One of those arrested was longtime New York City activist Priscilla Grimm, an editor of the Occupied Wall Street Journal, whose daughter Sophia told The Independent, we're so grateful and appreciative for all the support we have received. It's made things so much less stressful. For an update, we're joined by Micah Herskin, a local community organizer in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome back to Democracy Now. Micah, talk about these charges of domestic terrorism and who is being held in jail and not released on bond? Absolutely. So at the end of the day, these charges are political prosecution. So 23 people People were arrested um, at the Wilani Forest Festival. This was at the very beginning of the week of action. As you said, there was an action that happened about a mile away from this site. And instead of showing up to that site, police showed up at this music festival where people were enjoying music, you know, having a good time and mass arrested people. Um, now, there, ever, ever since March 5th, there were 22 people being held in jail without bond. Um, just yesterday, they had new bond hearings where um, about 12 folks got out um, earlier because on, on consent bonds, which means they didn't have to pay. Eight people were denied bond yesterday, and two people were granted $25,000 bonds. Um, the folks who were denied bond were, you know, not denied bond for any specific evidence other than, as you said, having, you know, mud on their clothes and their shoes, you know, having wet pants. Um, you know, we've seen earlier affidavits and warrants that have said that folks are known members of a prison abolitionist movement. Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, these are really just about trying to repress this social movement that is trying to stop Cop City. 
And this is a social movement that goes across the spectrum in Atlanta, right? I mean, you've got religious people, you've got environmentalists who are fighting this, you've got indigenous people who are fighting this, and you have people who are deeply concerned about issues of police brutality who are fighting this. And then you have the recent police killing of Tortuguita, um, who was one of the activists, and an independent autopsy just came out uh, that suggested that uh, Tortuguita was sitting cross-legged with their hands in the air when they were shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, you know, the state has yet to release its autopsy still, even though, you know, we're now months out from this killing. But this independent autopsy showed, you know, Tortuguita's mother speaking at a press conference sat down and showed the position that this autopsy found that her child was killed in, which was essentially, you know, looking like this, sitting cross-legged. Um, you know, there were bullets through their palms. Um, and so, yeah, you know, at, the more information that comes out, the clearer it is that, you know, just as these prosecutions are political prosecutions, the killing of Tortuguita was a political assassination where police marched into the forest and killed somebody and then, you know, most likely lied to cover it up. Um, the Independent, John Tarleton, reported uh, that the conditions in the DeKalb County Jail Women's Unit are poor, Sophia said, one of the daughters of those being held, sparse food, overflowing toilets, no personal visits right. due to short staffing, paid telephone, video call services that barely function, transgender SDs being assigned to areas that don't correspond to their gender. Um, the men's unit uh, reported to be even worse, she said. Um, your thoughts and how people are able to communicate and, you know, we just did a story. We interviewed Ben Crump um, about the 10 people, seven of them police officers, who were arrested on murder charges for uh, killing a mentally challenged man at a hospital in Virginia. They're out on bond. Um, these activists are charged with domestic terrorism and continue to be held. Yes. That, you know, they're being held. And again, you know, really without evidence during these bond hearings, it was clear that, you know, the prosecution has not yet put together any case. They're, you know, using these fallbacks. You know, one of the examples that they gave was that people were wearing black and that that was evidence of playing on the team of, you know, being being on the side of the protest. Um, and so, you know, the the charges are all really shaky. There's really no legitimate evidence that's been put, that's been put forward um, in terms of the jail conditions. You know, right now, this is true across the country, but especially in Atlanta, across the metro Atlanta area, our jails are in absolute crisis. There are jail deaths happening, you know, across the metro area really frequently, the DeKalb County Jail, you know, many parts don't have running water is what we're hearing from inside. Toilets are broken, there are freezing temperatures. Um, and, you know, despite all of that, there have been vigils that organizers have been hosting outside of the jail as a way to communicate with folks inside. Um, shortly after their arrests, um, there, was, there was a large vigil that was planned and things were projected on the jail and folks were able to yell across the walls of the jail. Um, a father of someone who had been arrested was able to speak directly to his child. And so there have also been really beautiful moments of solidarity um, and folks mm -hmm. on the outside making sure that, you know, we're supporting folks inside. Micah Herskin, I want to thank you for being with us, local community organizer in Atlanta, Georgia. I want to thank you so much for being with us. Uh, that does it for our show. On Monday, Democracy Now's Juan Gonzalez is moderating an online panel on Chicago's 2023 mayoral race, reclaiming Harold Washington's multiracial coalition. Details at democracynow.org. 
and a very happy birthday to Nermeen Sheikh. Also, Democracy Now! is currently accepting applications for a digital fellow. Learn more and apply at democracynow.org. Democracy Now! is produced with Renee Feltz, Mike Burke, Dina Gesder, Messiah Rhodes, Nermeen Sheikh, Maria Teresena, Tammy Warner, Tarina Nadura, Sam Alcock, Tim Maria Studio, John Hamilton, Robbie Karen, Honey Masood, Sanji Lopez, our executive director, Julie Crosby. Special thanks to Becca Staley, Dennis Moynihan, John Randall, Paul Powell, Mike DeFilippo. I mean, either. Okay, everybody. We're getting down to it here. They're peeling back the onion skin layers of evil going on. And it's more important than ever to remain in an unconditional divine neutral neutral space in order to look deeper. And that's something that we're all working on in our personal lives as well, I'm sure, at some level. And, uh, you know, it's just like when um, Manly Palmer Hall was speaking and Rama didn't know exactly when when he was speaking, but uh, it's a while ago. It's probably... Well, he was doing most of his work, what, uh, 30s to 50s, that period of time. And so it was as though he were transported to the 2023 period as if there was no time difference between that period of time when he was talking and the first thing out of his mouth is we're living in totally corrupt political times. And so the energies coming in now are making it available and possible for us to make a real difference right now. Pluto in Aquarius for 248 more years. Mm -hmm. I guess we're going to get used to doing something like this. And death is not on the menu. Mm -hmm. No. And we can. Yes, we can do this. And... All the evils done in anybody's name, there's something to be said about when one of us are, when one is healed, all are healed. And I really like to keep it there and let the other go. That's a really big step. The, uh, you know, the assumption that as one is harmed, all are harmed does not need to be embedded. In other words, that uh, doesn't get equal time to, uh, as one is healed, all are healed. So, won't it be? All right. Now, we're going to listen to this. uh, There's uh, a guest he has here. His name is Robert. I don't remember his last name, but this is Professor Richard Wolf Emeritus who is speaking here to really important issues. So I will just say, let's listen with 10 ears, as you might say we have sometimes when we talk. All right, here, let's do this. Let's get started. This is about 29 minutes or something. Here we go.
Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives and those of our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. In today's program, we're going to be talking about the banking crisis that has enveloped the United States yet again. We're going to talk about plant closings, what they mean, child labor in the United States, the bizarre budget proposal of President Biden, and then some new research on homelessness in the United States and with an important book. And then we'll turn to an interview with our guest, Robert Ovitz, who will have something to tell us about the U.S. Constitution. Let's jump right in. I don't want to rehash what most of you already know about the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and the bank runs and crises that have been proliferating above and beyond the surface of events ever since. I want to stress, however, something you may not have thought about. We now live in an economic system that cannot protect us, not you, not me. We've had two dramatic lessons, even though there are lessons like this every day. We've had two dramatic ones, horrible catastrophe of a derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and now catastrophic collapse of a bank in San Jose, California. It's extraordinary. The system doesn't work. The banks can't do what they're supposed to or are driven by profit to cut safety, to cut care, to cut their responsibility. The railroad companies can't do it. The banks can't seem to do it. The institutions, governmental commissions and so on that are supposedly regulating and supervising, they can't save us and protect us either. Let me go over the timeline that leads to the banking crisis. We have a pandemic and an economic crash in 2020. That was not prepared for. That was not managed very well. We really took it on the chin. That in turn was handled in so bad a way that it was followed by an inflation when we could barely recover from the pandemic and the crash. The inflation led to herky-jerky governmental policies, which included raising the interest rate, which hurt the same poor and middle-income people that had already been hurt by the crash and the pandemic and the inflation. And now we're told we're going to have a recession. Well, with rising interest rates, the value of bonds go down. No one seems to have said to themselves in the halls of power, banks invest a huge amount of their deposits in government bonds. They've been doing that for, let's see, two centuries. So it's not as though it's a secret. And if the bonds go down in value when interest rates go up, which they do, and which they have been doing for six to eight months now, the logic would say, uh-oh, if something goes wrong, the banks are going to have a lot less wealth in the value of those. But no one thought it through. No one took the appropriate steps. The banks took bigger and bigger risks, probably hid half of what they were doing from the, it's the same old story. To leave private enterprise in place, it will undo, it will subvert any regulations put in. After 2008, 
and Nine's catastrophe, we had some reforms, the Dodd-Frank Act and others. What did the banks immediately do? Go to work lobbying with their money to reduce those regulations. President Trump went real far in reducing them. Just like in a few years before the collapse of 2008 and 9, the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act, a reform after the Great Depression of the 30s, opened us up for the 2008-9 catastrophe. That this is going on should surprise no one. That the people of this country tolerate a system that works like this, that's the issue. Let me turn next to a town you may never have heard of, Canton, North Carolina. There they have a big factory that employs a very significant part of the population. It's called the Pactive Evergreen Paper Mill, which is important in that area. They recently announced a restructuring aimed to make the company more profitable. And they also announced that they would be firing 1,100 workers in the factory in Canton, North Carolina. Now, I want to stress two, two things. A tiny board of directors, numbering less than 20 people, made a decision that's profitable for that company. And that involved firing 1,100 people. Those people fired had no say at any step in this process. They were told that they will have to get a new job by June of this year. The fact that they may have made a commitment to buy a house for the next 20 years is of no concern to the company. The disorientation of their children, of their families, with the anxiety and the loss of income that is looming upon them at a time when the economy as a whole is in not good shape either, could count for nothing. This is the opposite of democracy. The people affected by a decision are excluded from participating in it. But even worse, let me explain to you as an economist. Let's suppose a decision by the company is correct and they make 50 million more dollars of profit over the next few years than they would have if they hadn't done that. Let's give them that. By the way, there's no certainty that that's true, but let's, let's assume it. But then we would have to ask, what are the losses to the 1,100 people who have no job anymore for the next few years? The households of that many people, we're talking 5,000 people. They're not going to have wherewithal. Many of them are unable, going to be unable to make their mortgage payments. They're going to have to try to sell their house. When? At a time when no one is moving in because the jobs are being cut. The local town, the state of North Carolina will have less revenue because 1,100 people aren't going to be able to pay taxes because they don't have a job. I could show you quickly, if we add up all the costs, direct and indirect, from this decision, it could easily be $500 million. In other words, to a society as a whole, to all of us, this is a stupid decision because the costs are much greater than the gains. But we have a system that allows a tiny number of people to go after those gains, even when and if the social losses dwarf those gains. That's not only undemocratic, that is irrational. 
That's a system that is making bad decisions because of the way it's organized. And we do that every day. There's a new report out by the Department of Labor, Health, and Human Services. It's a new report, 2023. Here's the statistic I want you to think about. Since 2018, there's been a 69% increase in illegal child labor employment in the United States. The U.S. Department of Labor reports it has 600 investigations of employers now underway where they have a legitimate complaint of child employment. You thought we had that problem beat? You thought we had outlawed child employment in this country? Well, yes, we did. But the corporate profit drive will and always has gotten around the laws, the regulations, when there's money in it. And there is, because you can get away with paying children, especially the children of immigrants, very little money. I turn next to the budget proposed by President Biden. It's very hard to maintain politeness when you're talking about such fakery. Before I tell you about the budget, let me tell you that this is a pretty similar to what he proposed before when, he cont- when the Democratic Party controlled both houses of Congress and they didn't get it then. Therefore, to propose it now when the Republicans o- uh, control one house, it's more certain than ever that they're not going to get this. So proposing these things is a bit of public fakery. It's theater. It's political theater. This is what we want because everybody who counts knows it's not going to happen. Here we go. Number one, increase the income tax for people earning over $400,000 to 39%. Gee, now it was 37%. What a dramatic change that isn't. Number two, increase the capital gains tax on shareholders. So you pay on the difference between what you bought the stock for and what you sell it for, the capital gain. And they're raising it, he proposes, from 21% to 28%. That's pretty boring, too. It'll hurt the people who have that money, but won't hurt them very much, will it? And finally, a minimum tax on billionaires. Well, in this country... We have 320 million people, and we have less than five or 6,000 billionaires. So that's not going to affect very many people either. So there it is, bold, brazen, and absolutely pointless just for theater. And guess what? The Republicans will give us their theater. They will trot out the dead old arguments against this dead-on-arrival proposal as if it mattered, and we'll hear things like, gee, you're stifling innovation or investment. You're you're taking money away from people. Oh, goodness, I just told you about that poor town in North Carolina. Look what's being done to those people, shaking their lives to the foundation. But we're supposed to empathize with the billionaires who will have a little less in the way of a billion than they might otherwise have had if this had a chance, which it doesn't. What a weird country to live in with the problems we have and political theater 
is what our leaders give us. Final update that we have time for today. There's a new book. And when a book comes out like this, it makes an important point. I want to begin to mention it to you. The authors are Greg Colburn and Clayton Aldern. And the title of the book is Homelessness is a Housing Problem. It was published in 2022. It's a new book by the University of California Press, a very prestigious university press. Here's what their book shows us in great detail. That the problem of the homeless in America, and we have now huge numbers that are growing every day. The problem of homelessness in one of the richest countries in the world, the US, is not mostly about drugs, poverty, crime, and all the rest of the things that have been said, mental health, you name it. Here's what the answer is. It's a problem of a shortage of housing and high rents. Whoa, it's an economic problem, mostly. In other words, our economy produces too few homes, even while the rental to minimum is too high. In order for a system to be adequate to house the people who live in it, you have to either give them the income needed to pay the rents or bring the rents down to what the income is they can afford to spend on them. We don't do that in this country, and that's why we mostly have homelessness. The stuff about the drugs and so forth is meant simply to focus attention away from the economy that doesn't provide homes to people and to put it on the people themselves. In other words, blame the victim. We've come to the end of the first half of today's show. Please stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's economic update. I am very pleased to bring a, an old friend of mine to the microphones and the screens, someone who's done the kind of work that I try to do on this show as well. His name is Robert Ovitz. He teaches at San Jose State University in California and also at the University of California at Berkeley. His published work in books and articles focuses on labor history and class struggles. His most recent book, published in 2022, is called We the Elites, Why the U.S. Constitution Serves the Few, a Class Analysis of the U.S. Constitution. So first of all, welcome, Robert Obritz, and thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. I want to jump right in, and as I'm sure most of our listeners and watchers well know, whether you're looking at the Supreme Court conservative majority or countless conservatives in various parts of our federal, state, and local government, they like very much to support, to justify, to rationalize what they do and what they say by stating that they are with the founders of our country, 
with the people who wrote the Constitution and with the Constitution itself, and that therefore their interpretation is legitimate and everybody who doesn't behave the way they wish is therefore illegitimate. Well, I thought it would be particularly interesting to our audience here if someone who has studied the Constitution, written about the Constitution, could come before us and weigh in and tell us what you think, starting this way, what you think about the way the Constitution has been used to support basically the right wing in American politics for quite a while. Well, Rick, as any of your listeners have heard you talk about numerous times, is that it seems that our system of government fails the economic majority or another term that I use for the working class over and over again. And while it seems like there's the possibility of reforms around the environment or workers' rights or a woman's right to choose her own reproductive methods, we lose over and over again. And what motivated me to write this book was to try to get out what is going on with our system of government. Why is it that our system seems to block what the majority wants over and over again? And what I found in my several years of research of reading who I call the framers, their letters and pamphlets and the transcripts from the debates of the Constitutional Convention and the state ratifying conventions, is that this is not an accident. This is not a symptom of partisanship or big money. Uh, This is caused by the design of the Constitution itself. In order for us to understand why the economic majority cannot get what it wants, we have to understand how the Constitution was designed by the economic elites of the late 18th century to do what I call constrain political democracy and prevent economic democracy. And as your listeners have heard you talk about um, for, for many years, is that we need economic democracy in order to transform the way we govern ourselves. But unfortunately, our constitutional system was designed with numerous what I call minority checks in order to provide the opportunity for the economic elite, the ruling class, to be able to block any change that it opposes. So to get back to your question, when Republicans and conservatives talk about their interpretation of the Constitution, essentially they're saying – Well, the Constitution was designed to protect the capitalist economic minority. And those changes that you want, sorry, but it's opposed by those who fund us and those who back us. And so you can't have it. And so your argument, and and correct me if I've misunderstood, your argument is that they're basically right in the sense that the Constitution they keep pointing to is a useful document for them. In other words, it rationalizes and justifies an undemocratic way of organizing your economic system. Okay, take us through it. In other words, give me the core of your argument, if I've gotten it right. Give us, if you want, either an overview or some examples of how the Constitution does what you just described. Yes, absolutely. So we learned from the earliest age, as early as elementary school, if you grew up in the United States, that our system was designed to set up a democracy, to extend rights to people 
and to allow the majority to rule. And these are what I call the three founding myths. Our system does the complete opposite. In fact, it was designed and still operates essentially virtually unchanged, only 27 amendments in over 230 years to do the opposite. It opposes the majority's will by allowing those who are opposed to change to be able to block that change anywhere in the system. And and as an effect, it allows the economic minority to actually rule. So this is how it works. One of the one of the key principles in understanding the Constitution is that that famous saying of checks and balances. And essentially what that means is that each of the branches have a certain number of enumerated and implied powers in the Constitution. And one branch can't activate and act on its own without one or the other branches also acting. And the similar kind of checks and balance exists between the federal government and the states. And ultimately that the federal government has the final say under Article 6, the Supremacy Clause. So essentially the way that it works is that anywhere through the system exists what I call minority checks. In order for the majority to be able to get what it wants at the end of the line of the political process, it essentially has to overcome the possibilities that its bill, for example, will be blocked anywhere in Congress. A bill has to pass both houses of Congress and it has to pass each committee that it's assigned to. In addition to being signed by the president or if the president vetoes the bill, uh, the Congress has to override that veto with a supermajority of two-thirds vote without changing the bill. These are just some of the best-known kinds of checks in the system that essentially give the upper hand to those who are opposed. Because if you block the bill anywhere in the in a committee, for example, even if the bill passes the other house with 100% of the members voting yes, that bill is dead. It can't go to the president. It can't become law. Now, there are numerous other checks as well. For example, even if the president signs the bill, the the new law can be gutted in the regulatory process. And you've talked about numerous examples of this happening. It can also be challenged in the courts and thrown out as unconstitutional. So throughout the system exists numerous checks that essentially give the advantage to those who don't want change and put those who want change in the position of having to make concessions and compromises that ultimately water down and uh, destroy the original intention of the legislation. All right. I mean, I was going to ask you more questions, but this is so interesting. I want to I want to pick your brain because you've thought about this. Why have generations of American majorities accepted a system that works the way you just described it? Give us your insights because you've studied it. Why do we as a people accept and perpetuate this arrangement? That's an excellent question, Rick. And I have to say, as somebody who's been involved in in numerous movements, labor organizing for almost three decades, we are constantly dealing with hope and disappointment. Our hope that ultimately the system will respond to the overwhelming demands of the majority and that it can be changed. And over and over again, we're disappointed. And our system is designed in such a way that it builds up 
a new sense of hope every two, four, and six years when elections occur. Uh, people get excited. They back candidates who they believe will make change. And lo and behold, they either don't get elected or they get elected and then suddenly they disappoint. And we become disenchanted and alienated from the process and we turn away for a while until things get bad and even worse. And then we look back at the system and the process starts all over again. And so I think part of the reason why uh, we can't get the change that we need, except every few generations when there is an immense uprising and outpouring, a mass movement that can't be ignored, is that we get locked into the political cycle and we forget about the history of every other attempt at bringing about change and how it ends up getting swallowed up and compromised as a result of these numerous minority checks. Now, there have been periods in American history where immense changes come about, and you've talked about numerous examples of that. Uh, For example, Reconstruction after the Civil War, but it takes massive disruption. It takes civil wars and economic depressions and mass strikes and mass protests to force those inside the halls of government to respond to those demands. But even then, we get small incremental changes and reforms that ultimately over the years become rewritten and killed by what I call death by a thousand cuts. And so that's a, it's a very excellent question. And it's something that anyone who's involved in political change has to confront that our system was designed to constrain political democracy and prevent economic democracy. And until we confront that problem in our system of governance, we're not going to be able to make the big changes we need to solve the huge global crises that we face right now. Okay, in the time we have left, you have a very provocative sentence in your book that caught my eye, in which you, I think, position yourself as an advocate that we, as the people of the United States, quote, go beyond the Constitution. Tell us, in the remaining time we have, what do you mean? Well, I conclude the book in the last few chapters looking at what we can do about this problem. What do we do about a system that was designed by 55 white wealthy men who didn't believe in democracy, who actually looked down on the common people having their hands on political power because they thought it would threaten property? And I think we have three options. First, we can pursue necessary constitutional amendments. That seems like a dead end because the framers were prepared for that. And they wrote into uh, Article 5 a process for amending the Constitution that creates supermajorities that are incredibly difficult to overcome. While we do have 27 amendments, this is 27 out of over 10,000 that have been officially introduced. And that's a, a tiny, tiny success rate of a quarter of 1%. So that that seems almost impossible. Another possibility is to call a constitutional convention. Again, we have to go through the amendment process that is set up in Article 5. Also incredibly difficult. And also right now there's a process being funded by the remaining surviving Koch brother uh, to call a constitutional convention. And, and that could be a complete disaster uh, for those of us on the left if that was to succeed. We're just not prepared for that. So those two options don't seem to be very, very, very promising. 
What I argue in the book is that we need to go a different direction. We need to follow the strategy of the framers, actually, who were not allowed to create a new constitution, but amend the Articles of Confederation. And uh, during the next mass uprising, to be able to recreate a direct democratic governance system from below by taking over and running the economic system democratically. Thank you very much, Robert. You really, you're a good teacher and you're a good disciplinarian of yourself, which many of our guests can't quite manage. So thank you very, very much. You've done it in record time. I think people have a lot to think about. And I think you've done a service by provoking that kind of thought. And to my audience, I hope you found this as useful as I did. And as always, I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Okay, so now we know the deal here. Our lovely founding fathers created a document to benefit the few. And so uh, it's up to us. Um, I'm going to read Aurora Ray from today. Um, And then, Rami, you're going to, you've got something from Alan Watts tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's do this. Let's just really listen. Yes. It's called The Fifth Dimension. And she selected these words Uh, At the beginning, all of our diseased loved ones shall rejoin us once again in 5D. All animals whom we thought had gone extinct will resurface in 5D. All mystical creatures are awaiting our arrival in 5D. Now, see, the thing is that we've established that 5D is right here where we are. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you and you're talking to me. It's not up there in heaven, heaven on earth here, but not quite, but we're 5D for sure. So here we go. Dear beloved ones, the fifth dimension, it's where you come from, where you go, when you go over the rainbow, and where you go when you ascend. And we have a choice about these things. I said it before and I say it again. There's no such thing as a, what do you call that kind of disease? Terminal Mm. disease. It does require uh, some ingredients that have been kind of elusive, let's say, and to how the mix gets... uh, how the cake gets baked. <laughs> no, 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 no pun here to uh, our sister Padme's dear kitty. Uh, she's got something to say here from over the rainbow. Uh, 
and something's changing here. So the plane, this plane, in the, is the inner world of the divine, the realm where God, goddess, and spirit exist. It is the realm of spirit, of infinite possibilities, of higher consciousness, and of enlightenment. In this plane, you can change anything here, a limiting belief, a traumatic experience, a limiting thought, a painful emotion. You can instantly heal anything here, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. All things are possible here. Everything you could ever want to know about your spirituality is contained in this plane. It's like the internet, except with 1,000 times more power and information. You cannot connect with all the spiritual dimensions of the universe. The power of the fifth dimension is the power of clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, claircognizance. It is the ability to know all things. Hmm. It is the expansion of consciousness to a higher level of vibration. It is inner city, inner clarity, love, universal healing. Whenever you imagine something, be it in your waking life or in your dreams, it manifests itself. This is the power of the fifth dimension. The fifth dimension is the realm of your imagination coming to life. I like that line where Tanya Gabrielle said, Feel your imagination. Are we getting there? Um, the fifth dimension is the realm of your imagination coming to life. It is where all of your wishes manifest. As you imagine something, the fifth dimension is honing its skills to bring that image into being. Sometimes, through technology, we have devices we call replicators or 3D printers. They are technologically advanced to a, a degree that even food can be replicated. It will be natural, organic, and contain all vital nutrients and love by Mother Nature. In 5D, things are different. There is no need for many of the time-consuming physical processes that are currently a necessity in your world. In 5D, things manifest instantly, yet not always out of the thin air. In the same way that we have created healing technologies and devices, 
such as, for example, the med beds or organ replicators. I mean, we're getting into uh, realms here. Star Trek. What's that? Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. Next generation. I think it's this generation right Mm. here. We also developed machines that can replicate things or even create them from scratch. What was that thing that the um, the printer thing created? We're even creating food now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember on Next Generation, you know, Replicate. computer hot fudge Sunday, yeah. and then it serves it. That's not an imaginatory thing anymore. It actualizes. It's, it's already actualized. Uh, okay. Your imagination can also manifest something physical into your world. As you dream about winning the lottery, you can actively use your imagination to manifest that winning lottery number. Simply think of what the number would be as you, as you won the lottery. And vice versa. The fifth dimension also manifests in your dreams. As you dream about a romance or event, it means this lover or event is already taking place in the fifth dimension. Whoops. (laughs) The five physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual dimensions, also called levels of reality, are interconnected. For example, Thoughts can affect our physical bodies. Our emotions affect our spiritual. Emotions affect our spiritual bodies. And your spiritual bodies, your astral bodies. Hold on, turn page. The fifth dimension, how many minutes is the end part? All together. All together with the music and yeah. okay, thank you, Ron. The fifth dimension is a source of infinite potential, of infinite power, of infinite number, knowledge. Excuse me. You can do everything in your life here by changing your perspective, loving yourself, being in spirit. Becoming your best friend, healing yourselves. At this time, you are awake. Each day, your consciousness expands. You are becoming increasingly aware of your vibration. Soon, your abilities will improve. And one day, you see clearly where your thoughts and words take you. Your thoughts and words become more powerful. What you focus on is what you create. And what you are focusing on is expanding. The fifth dimension is a high form of energy. It is the energy of love, of compassion, of forgiveness. It is the energy that heals. The energy that transforms. The energy 
that triumphs over all negativity and inequality. It is the energy of divine consciousness. It is the energy of the divine spark. The power of the fifth dimension is instant healing. No one has to die, get injections of something, or be put into a hospital bed. It can heal any disease, any mental or physical illness, any accidents. There's just one, I'm just saying that any natural disaster, any war, any famine, any disease, any epidemic, any insanity, any mental abnormality, any physical pain or injury. Oh, wow. Any physical deformity, any, any physical limitation, any socially unacceptable condition, any injustice, any crime, any cruelty, any oppression, any evil. We're working on it, every right, everyone. Any fear, any guilt, any shame and grief and loneliness any indecision, and hopelessness. All of these are transmuted the moment the human collective makes its last shift into 5D. One final moment there is peace on earth. That's a song. Ram and I were in a choir and we went to a mall in Santa Fe town and we sang that song at Christmas time. We should get the lyrics, Rama. Mm-hmm. We should maybe find if it's on the on the. That's a good song. Mm-hmm. Find if somebody singing it on the internet. We can play it for everybody. One final moment. There's peace on earth. That's really covering it all. All of our diseased loved ones. Here's where the thing she she shows to put at the beginning. Shall regain, rejoin, excuse me, shall rejoin us once again in 5D. All animals whom we thought had gone extinct will resurface in 5D. All mystical creatures are awaiting our arrival in 5D. It's not a physical place we're going to. It's a revolutionary shift in consciousness. The human race will be reborn into a new frequency that will allow you to dial into a new radio station and listen to new tunes. This change begins with you. You who are ready to expand your consciousness, raise your awareness, Think a different thought. Feel a better feeling. Let go of all that does not honor earth, does not honor life, does not honor the divine feminine. Again, the divine feminine, beyond any kind of gender, it's the ability to receive love. Divine masculine is the ability to give love. And everybody has a balanced place within both of those 
things, divine feminine, divine masculine, beyond any of the gender uh, situations. The more you bring awareness into your life, the more you expand. The more you expand, the more you connect to the infinite, the fifth dimension. Once you fully accept that everything comes from the infinite, you can begin to experience the wonder of it all. You become limitless. The closer you align yourselves with the fifth dimension, the higher your vibrational frequency will be. The vibration of the fifth dimension is love, peace, abundance, unity. The love of the fifth dimension is there for all of us, and we can access it anytime. It's love without conditions. That's the part. Love without form. Love without limits. And love without boundaries. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. Aurora Ray. Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. That's a lot. That's a lot, everybody. Mm. And I'm just going to read one more thing. Then Rama can play the closing thing. I'm just going to read. Uh, this is from. Uh, today is the 24th. So this is from Tuesday. Uh, the uh, 21st. Okay. And I just put a real call out that we manifest uh, everything financially that we need right now so that we don't get any more in arrears, you might say, that we can. And imagine that you can call it in from all corners and new people come and join us and Make a contribution to this, uh, what's called Nasara Law. And again, come to our website. There's a place where you can click on, on the home page. And it's uh, the website is rainbowroundtable.net. And on the home page, click on the Nasara button. And there's a 33-page document there uh, that really does a really thorough job of describing the Sarah law and you know we have already won the point is is to help people to realize it there are so many things going on in so many different um, you might say um, necks of the woods where have people gotten we were asking the question about there's 175 million people in the United States now. And uh, numbers of us have been saying, I don't quite feel that. It doesn't mean it's not true. What I was thinking of something, you know, uh, Ram and I have traveled across country in direct, various directions. Ram, I actually hitchhiked across the United States from L.A. to New York. That's got to be a trip. And then he hitchhiked from uh, 
Well, you took a a plane from London to Paris. Yeah. And then you hitched hiked all across Europe from there and uh, you went to the other side of the uh wall. Mm-hmm. You went into uh East the Soviet Berlin. East Berlin, which was part of the Soviet Republic at the time. Soviet Union. Soviet Union. And then you hitchhiked. Where did you go from there? To Egypt? I all through out. Not loud enough so people can hear you, honey. Oh, Poland, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia. Was Yeah, we talked about those places. Uh, and then into the Soviet Union. And Hungary. then from there you went to Egypt? Yeah. Uh, you went to Jerusalem too, didn't you? Yes. Didn't you go there first and then to Egypt? Yeah. And then where? Then you headed back. And then I headed towards India. Yeah, so you went to Iraq. Yeah. That was when things were not so weird. No. <sighs> Iraq and then Iran. You went through Iran. And then uh, Afghanistan, right? Kurdistan? Yeah. Kurdistan? Afghanistan? Anyway, there's nothing to say except that that was a more peaceful time, and those places weren't so dangerous. <sighs> so, uh, again, zero degrees Aries, new moon abundant manifestation. We are in the midst of the most potent week of the year. Hours ago, we had the equinox at zero degrees Aries the first degree of the zodiac and beginning of the new year in astrology. Today, the Aries new moon, also at zero degrees, mirrors the zero point impact. What this means is that new beginnings, birthing energy, is undeniable and irreversible. We have reached the zero point of endings and beginnings. This theme is echoed with the change of Pluto into zero degrees Aquarius, which occurred two days ago. Uh, No, yesterday, March 23rd, yesterday. And uh, Rainbird noted, let me see, uh, three plus 20 see March is a 3 and then take the 20 part of 2023 I'm going to add the numbers so if you add March which is the 3 plus 20 you got 23 so now you've got for the date yesterday 23 23 23 and the number 23 is the most powerful number there is so now you've got three of them And when you do anything in multiples of three, it elevates that power to the highest possible good of all. So yesterday manifested that highest good in in a real time, both in astrology by Pluto going into Aquarius and in numbers. And Tanya Gabrielle has mastered those two things. She calls her 
her work astral numerology. Uh, so we'll just let that sink in for a while. Okay, I will. I'm going to leave it there because of the time, and we'll we'll go further tomorrow with this. It's, there's so much to be said. So Rama, and a oh, rainbird. Yes, rainbird. You get the last word with all those angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, and crystals, and and every little menahuni around. Here it comes. Here comes this talking stick. All right, I'll take that parking stick. Oh, uh, yeah, and thank you for tonight. It was fun. We, we, we covered a lot of the, the, the stuff. <laughs> yeah. I really like Aurora Ray. She's, good to, she's a good one to end all that. Yeah. Great girl. Yeah. Well. Yeah, there's Robert Rackberry, so there you go. Oh, boy, <laughs> is he? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So, lots of gratitude for you coming through every week. Let's let's keep supporting that and uh, pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. What do you have for us, hon? This is Alan Watts. You can't transform yourself. You can't make yourself sane, you can't make yourself loving, you can't make yourself unselfish. And yet it's absolutely necessary that we be that way. It's absolutely necessary. If we are going to hand over the direction of nature to nature, which is what it comes to, it's absolutely necessary that we let go of ourselves and it can't be done not by anything that we call doing it, acting, willing, or even just accepting things. You can't do it. Why? Because you don't really exist as that kind of a separate ego or personality. It's just an idea based on a phony feeling. So when it comes down to it, it's shocking news for us, for the human race, for our pride. You're only making a mess by trying to put things straight. You're trying to straighten out a wiggly world and no wonder you're in trouble. So you can't do anything. So you can't transform yourself. And what can you do? What happens then if you actually realize you've come to a dead end? And the human race has come to a dead end in my opinion. What then? Commit suicide? Or is there something else? What happens when you just wait? There's nothing you can do. You watch. And all you see is what goes on that is happening of itself. You're breathing. The wind is blowing. The trees are waving. Your blood is circulating. Your nerves are tingling. It's all going on with itself. But you know that's you. That's the real you. The you that goes on of itself. It's not the symbol. It's not the person. It's you that's happening as when you breathe. 
Yes, you can get the feeling that I am breathing by shoving your breath, but your breath goes on day in and day out without your doing anything about it or even thinking of it. The same way your brain is functioning without your forcing it. So when you come to a dead end, and we are individually and socially now in 1971 at a dead end, this is the moment of which it is said man's extremity is God's opportunity. Because we have to stop. And when we stop, we find a world that is happening rather than being done, being shoved. And that happening, as distinct from doing, is our fundamental self. And our fundamental self is not something just inside the skin. It's everything around us with which we connect. When you look out of your eyes at nature happening out there, you're looking at you. I'm not going to say what we should do from then on, but simply that before we think of doing anything in this critical situation, we realize the completely illusory nature of the beings that we think we are and get back again to the beings that we really are, which includes all this outside world, no longer left outside.
Inshallah, everyone. Satnam, Rama. Satnam, Ki. 13, thank you. Sunny in the heart, no evil. See you in your dreams on the bridge. And live long and prosper, everyone. Namaste. Until we meet again this afternoon. <laughs> Aloha.